everyone, just a quick note before we get into the episode for the day. Unfortunately, there was a bug with Audacity on both of our ends. The length of the episode eventually made the program crash for both of us. So we are going to be using the audio directly from the streamed version. Uh, We're doing our best to figure out the best way to record the podcast, to have the best audio quality. Uh, We're still getting used to all that, so appreciate the patience. And here's the episode. Hello there, and welcome to the first 2020 episode of Tap Cap Trans... Tap Cap? Tap Cap Transmission. (laughs) Okay, maybe you should do the introduction. Welcome to Tap Cap Transmissions, the Star Wars podcast where we talk about uh, all things Star Wars, but mostly just books. Last episode, we did a review of The Rise of Skywalker right after it came out. So if you would like to see our thoughts on that movie, you can check out that last episode. But we are today covering the final book of the Thrawn trilogy, also known as The Last Command. Uh, that was that was skill right there. But uh, <laughs> we covered Dark Force Rising about a month and a half ago now. We took a short break for Definitely. the holidays, but we are back on our generally bi-weekly schedule Uh, for those who have just come in with the rise of skywalker episode the way we usually do this is we stream it live on youtube every other thursday alternating between my channel Corey's datapad and eckhart's ladder so joining me as always is my effervescent co-host mr eckhart's ladder how are you doing let's not embarrass me with words i don't know Um, but thanks for the intro i appreciate that i thought you were serious when you're gonna make me do it and i was dreading it because the intro is literally like my least favorite. Part no, of this I know. Podcast. No matter how bad I do any individual intro, I know that you would do it worse, and that's what keeps me going through life. Hey, well, you didn't need to hurt my feelings, but you're basically right. It's about knowing each other's your, uh... strengths. That's that's what this that's what this partnership is really about. If I if I know your weaknesses and you know my weaknesses, we can cover for each other. And when right. the cops come to you, you know what to say. <laughs> basically already made that joke with charlie so i can't yeah um how was your uh how was your break your three weeks good i read last command like twice um mm-hmm. and then i really wanted to read more stuff so i went and read the i started reading new rebellion uh wasn't as into it and went on and instead read the first book and a half of the corellian trilogy so i've been having fun with that um but uh, how, how about you? What have you been up to? Oh, that was also Christmas and New Year. So all that. I mean, that's kind of what I was referring to. But <laughs> I stay I stayed at my apartment and worked the whole time. So I, I didn't do any family stuff. I just streamed. And uh, yeah, that was it was fun. Yeah. It's kind of I mean, I like doing family stuff, but Christmas is kind of overwhelming. So there were times when I was like, I'd kind of just like to be back to normal. So. No, it doesn't sound that bad to me. Um, I was, yeah, I mean, we we did regular Christmas stuff. I listened to this book on audiobook twice, which is like 30 hours worth of content. Um, yeah, so I started looking or listening to the audiobook for, for Last Command. It's the first Star Wars audiobook I've tried listening to, and I, I really enjoyed the voices. I thought uh, Mark good. Thompson... I think that's yeah, Mark Thompson. I think I thought his Han voice was spot on. As soon as he started with that, I was his Han's great. I was hooked. Well, you'll think that's what we're gonna do. I can't do it, but it was <laughs> it was fantastic. Ten out of ten. As good as Lando's, really good. Um, I Lando wasn't in any of the scenes I listened to. It was the okay. the scene on the bridge with uh, 
with Sabayoth and then leading into the scene with uh the no the nogi coming into uh cover for them when they're going to go to Mount Tantus. Right. Right. So there was no Lando yet, but I'm going to have to go back and listen to some more. Honestly, it's worth listening to that entire trilogy on audiobook. Like it's so good. It's got full music. It's got um you know, the voice acting is amazing. Uh, I would have actually been so happy. Did you hear his Thrawn? Uh, Mark yeah, Thompson's yeah. Thrawn? yeah. I really like his Thrawn. He's kind of changed it now a bit in the uh, like the new canon books. His Thrawn is more similar to what uh, they gave us in Rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a bit more like slow and kind of like uh, it's hard to really explain it. But well, I really yeah. like the uh, the voice actor for Thrawn and Rebels. I know it's a Mickelson. I don't I don't remember which Mickelson yeah. it is. But yeah. I thought they did a real, so I have no complaints with that. Nope, me neither. Um, you didn't get to hear him do any of the smugglers, did you? Like his no. talent card is really. Yeah. Um, you you got to listen to to portions of the book, hear all the main characters, and we can talk about it next. Does he do next, most uh, of the Star Wars ones, or? He's done. Okay, so with canon, I'd say he does like maybe thirty or forty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Legends, like after a certain point, he did all of them. Like he did the nice. entirety of Fate of the Jedi, Legacy of the Force. Once they started doing the proper, like non-super um, abridged audiobooks, he did most of them. Nice. Uh, so I guess before we get too far into this, if uh, people are, have been asking even in chat already, if we are, uh, since we're not canceling the show, what we're going to do next, and we talked about this a bit over the break and at the end of the last episode, but I think the plan is Dark Empire, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll jump right into her. Might as well. Yeah. And uh, so usually we like to start the show now with any Star Wars news that has come up uh, that has caught our attention in the last, usually two weeks, but now three. Yeah, three weeks uh, this time. So anything that's really sticking out to you right now? Think about it. I mean, there's been lots of like rumors and like, mm-hmm. like the... I'm mostly excited. It seems like we're going to get news soon about like Project Luminous, which is like the new big multimedia project they're planning for Star Wars yeah. canon. Um, so that will be interesting. I mean, there's been some rumors that it will take place during a certain period. I guess I won't spoil it in case people want to go in fresh. Yeah. But there's been rumors about that, which have seemingly been not confirmed, but there's been credibility added to them through various... Uh, others again i'm trying to say things without spoiling it but that's one thing there's been rumors of maybe a new rebels show as well which is pretty exciting yeah um i've been reading the kylo ren comic too i am not a comic reader um but i've been reading that it's been pretty good looking for any Um, stolen fan art i think i did spot a a couple of ships but i haven't been able to confirm it yet Hmm. um but yeah i mean the kylo ren comic's cool because it's it well, it shows the backstory of how Ben became Kylo Ren. So it's actually yeah. very. Um... However, one of the characters, um, the character of Ren, who plays like, I guess, the leader of the Knights of Ren before Kylo, he, he looks just like Jeffrey Epstein. Hmm. All right. If you go on my, if you go on my Twitter, I retweeted a, a photo and it's like. Does the comic end shot. with him killing himself? It ends with him not killing himself, oh, which I think okay. is even more telling. Hmm. Well, that's 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 good. Again, dead. I guess. 
Any other news though? I'm trying to think. Um, well, the Mandalorian ended in the time since we last spoke. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, was... or not since we last spoke, because, but at least since yeah, the, we... in the time since we've last podcasted. So, any any thoughts on the end of the Mandalorian? I really liked the last episode. I kind of wish they teased a bit more for season two. Um, I guess you have a general idea of what's going on, and we did see the uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We did see the Darksaber at the end of episode eight. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I guess we're getting some hints there, but I was kind of waiting for another big reveal. I still absolutely love the episode and it was an amazing season of television. Uh, but I, I don't know. It's just kind of like, are we getting something, another hint maybe? But I've heard some stuff about like again, more big... big character cameos in season two, which are like characters that tie into the Skywalker saga more. And that kind of has me worried because me too that like the thing that I like so much about the Mandalorian was we got to see this other part of the universe and uh, and I, I don't want them to stray too far from that. Like there's a certain extent to which like great that like Star Wars characters are going to show up in Star Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do hope that it, it continues trying to be its own thing. Yeah, um, I mean, the scale for season one was pretty much perfect. Um, so like. I think if they're trying to up the ante, they do so by kind of expanding the stakes for the Mandalorian, but not necessarily making it like, oh, the Mandalorian's saving the galaxy now, because that's not what people want. Yeah. Um, I don't think they want him to be helping Luke, um, you know, do whatever or, you know. Like, as long as he doesn't, like, get to the end of season two, like, I'm going to retire to Hosni and Prime now. And <laughs> then we all just kind of know where that's going. But that would be sad or if that's when the show ends and then we get like he's going to Tatooine and he ends up in season one of Kenobi then I'd also consider that kind of a, a stretch that you're gonna make a joke about his name or something some lady asks him his name <laughs> Mando Mando what Mando Kenobi <laughs> Mando Palpatine yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. Like this season one was pretty much perfect. Um, I even, especially like uh, looking at things now, I even like the what some people were calling the filler episodes. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. In retrospect, uh, the choice the end, the choices they end up making, uh, kind of alleviated what my fears were when they were doing some of those filler episodes. It was like, okay, this is not going anywhere. But now that we know that it was going somewhere. Great. Mm. So I'll probably enjoy it more rewatching it. Yeah, and I mean, it's good to have the tension kind of go down for a bit, just yeah. so when, you know, shit does hit the fan, it feels like shit's hitting the fan. Not that yeah. shit's been flying the whole time, to really stretch that analogy. Don't stretch the shit. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I think we should probably get started on The Last Command, because uh, yes. I think we're probably going to have very little to say about this book. Uh, do you want to just jump straight to the book rankings and uh, call it for the night? Yeah, um, I thought this book was not very epic. I'd probably put it, <laughs> probably put it just right under Krytos Trap. <laughs> Jesus, I'm actually putting it seventeenth. <laughs> wow, that would be impressive. Uh, no, I mean maybe we should talk about um, because this isn't only a book. This is the end of a trilogy, so let's. Maybe reflect. This isn't only a book. This is a way of life, Corey. Uh, (laughs) Corey, don't don't you dare joke about the last command. 
No, but but for real, like this is the point, and I do get kind of sad when I'm like reading the last few chapters of this book, you know, because it's like you've been through so much. It covers so much territory. So many different things happen. Like when you're reading the last chapter of uh, or the last few chapters of the book, it feels like like if you think back to when they were on Honiger, it feels like a long time. If yeah. you think back to when Leia was on Kashyyyk, it feels like ages ago. Yeah, it feels um, like months ago at this point. Yeah. <laughs> late november at least <laughs> well you know what i mean yeah, right like it co- sure. covers a lot of territory it is the end of what was at the time like the sequel trilogy for legend like probably still the biggest uh or the most high profile trilogy for star wars novels that there has been it's oh, yeah. between this and the swarm war so I was. I thought you were gonna say Dark Fleet Crisis because that's another big one, but I I stick by what I said. Like honestly, um, I think between like this X Wing and NJO were kind of the the big ones that get pointed to as like stuff that uh, like Shadows of the Empire, maybe. maybe. Yeah, Shadows uh, of the Empire, but that was more it started that yeah thing, and then was pushed pretty hard. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I, th- I think even like Dark Empire, for example, would be just a tier below. Mm-hmm. Um, swing this, yeah, NJO. That's pretty much, I think the the most publicly accessible stuff to just th- this, or the most accessible stuff to just the general public. Like the, well, even just the what series. it ended up meaning for uh, for Star Wars media, because uh, th- the Thrawn trilogy kind of reinvigorated interest in the idea of this existing and then the njo reshaped uh how the series was handled because it went from like well it was the first go that delray really had with the license and it was transitioning from the bantam style of like individual Mm one-off stories where by the end the universe is generally left roughly where it was at the start maybe a bit more progress in breaking down the empire but you were ultimately the exception of the thrawn duology probably yeah, they really they just weren't allowed to have too many big changes with the characters was the main thing. The galaxy could shift around a bit, but with NJO, uh, that focus shifted a lot more and a lot more changes happened with the main characters. You started getting more uh, plot progression. Like you, if you came into Dark Nest Crisis having not read NJO, you were probably going to be a lot more lost than if you went into uh the hand of thrawn duology having not read stuff before mm. it like you would generally recognize what's going on more just arguably a bit of a weakness um for the later works just because we do get like three huge series with njo fate of the jedi and legacy of the force where like for fate of the jedi especially if you haven't read all what is it 11 books of legacy of the force mm-hmm. is it 11 or not or nine? Anyway, uh, they're all it's it, nine legacy of the force nine fate of the jedi i think right nine books of legacy of the force like you're gonna be pretty confused by the time of fate of the jedi you can still read it um but especially where like we've got the yuzhan vong arc which is just absolutely huge um it's kind of like a lot of burden on star wars which is generally like a very very calm a very popular property so they're you know there's a kid in the bookstore and like this was me when i was a kid when i was in the bookstore if i saw a star wars book you know i'd be interested if I pick up, you know, Fate of the Jedi number seven is like, as a kid, am I going to be interested in a book that I needed to read 25 books prior to? Yeah. Um, 
But, yeah, there's yeah. definitely an increased burden of knowledge, and that's probably something we'll end up talking about more as we progress into that era. But at the same time, for me, that was kind of what brought me in more than uh, just the one-off stories. So I think there's a value to both, but it does definitely limit the appeal to outside people more. I agree. And and I I do think that the Bantam style wouldn't really work today either. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I like the interconnected stories. But like when I was a kid, I was mostly just a fan of like Jaina and Jason. So I would read you know, whatever book they were. And I would just go pick up right. whatever um, young did I night book or, or whatever. And, um, and yeah, I just, just read that. Well, at this point, there's a lot more acceptance of like, if you get into a property late, there's going to be some stuff you don't know. And people will generally be more okay with that. Uh, mm. So like the idea of there being an expanded universe for things, isn't just like something that uh, select nerds within a franchise. know. Yeah. It's more like anything you get into now is kind of that way. You have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which has that. You have Star Wars, which has always kind of had that. Star Trek. Um, like any property now eventually becomes that thing. And then you kind of get into the whole like the Rugrats EU, franchise. the Berenstein Bears EU, well, One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest EU. Well, Phil and Lil move to Seleucami <laughs> and get raised by Cut, right? That's right. <laughs> the voice actress was... But I, I was watching that episode yesterday. I was like, who is this? It's like, oh, wait, that is that is Phil and Lil's voice actor. Yeah, you know, like uh, not how almost incestuous the voice acting uh, community is. I feel there's like 30 people that are just everybody we know. Yeah, and I'm I love all of them. So I this is the third time today I'm going to bring up Critical Role, but I love Critical Role. And uh, it's a D&D show where voice actors and actresses play D&D, and I could not be happier with it. I want them having all the work. And then yeah. uh, Will Friedel shows up from Boy Meets World. Will Friedel. Will Friedel. <laughs> not Will Friedel. But Steve Bloom's in yeah. everything. It just, oh, it's all great. All such good stuff. Corey, I'm going to get you back on track because people are just going to start turning off. They, they're right, too. <laughs> You should turn off. It's not getting any better. It's not going to get any better. We we peaked. We peaked on episode three. I think that's the one that Alex was on. So yeah. All right. So uh, do you want to get us into the plot of the Last Command? Sure. So the Last Command is really the beginning of the Thrawn campaign. Um, the other two books, we obviously see Thrawn do stuff. Um, book one is mostly about him trying to steal Rebel ships and just basically making a presence within the galaxy. Then book two, he's securing the Katana fleet and clones to um, clones demand it. But by now he's got all of his pieces on in place or at least he does after one of the first things we see, which is the taking of Yukio. So Thrawn has this massive, well, pretty large military now, lots of clones. He needs to feed them. So his first target in this book is the planet of Yukio, which is one of the big, food producers for the new republic yeah and we get uh like the book opens with kind of a a scene of all the orders being given out for multiple raids so uh we get a a look at uh i think it's the phil the battle of phil's that we actually get to see part of but the it just highlights that this is a galactic they're back up to basically a galactic scale war now there's fighting going on everywhere and you actually pop into a bunch of different chapters 
where it's like a battle in progress where before and in a lot of other Star Wars books, it's really just if a battle is going to happen, it's going to be a major set piece for the book. But something that The Last Command does that a lot of the other books don't is you start off in the middle of the battles or towards the end of the battles. just like, oh, there was a, a 34 hour battle or whatever at uh, one of the planets when Pelion and Thrawn are talking and no individual battle is really highlighted except for uh, Yukio because of the importance with the... It's not even really a battle. Yeah, it's just, just a, taking the planet yeah. uh, and then Bill Bringy. But yeah. every time it's like, okay, we get a few scenes of like Rogue Squadron in the middle of a battle with uh, Orthavon, the is the ship name. I think that's Caught Kristak. The one with the uh, A-Wing Slash. Yeah, which I believe is Caught Kristak. Yeah, that's, that's Kat Kristak, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that is... I mean, there's very little focus on... Uh, ta- like, I kind of wish we did get to see a bit more of Thrawn's tactics because mm-hmm. we see that a bit in book one. Um, but in this book, it's mostly like his strategy, like how he's running the war. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would have been nice to see more... Like, I remember in book one, there's like, like there's a point during the, uh, the raid on Slowest Van when he's basically like... Sh- like rotate your ship and fire here or do whatever we see that he's not only a master strategist but is also in the heat of battle a great tactician we don't really see that to the same extent in this book mm-hmm. um which i think is kind of a shame and something new canon does a lot we see his individual we see his genius on kind of a battle level which is nice um but here i guess it's partially because the campaign is fully in swing yeah uh, and he's just taking it to the new republic across the galaxy and this book covers a lot of territory too, um, not just like geographic territory, but I mean the book covers a lot of different topics. There's a lot going on, so it's kind of understandable in a way as well, yeah. I guess. Like, the, there's only we got a, enough of the other battles in the other books that I didn't really feel it was lacking uh, in Thrawn's tactical examples. But there, there was one section of the book that I felt was kind of unnecessary, and if we had gotten some more of that instead then I would have been uh, okay with it, especially because we got a very, a nearly identical sequence in earlier parts of the trilogy. So I, any guesses what I'm talking about here? I actually don't know. The All the trekking through... With the walk? Yeah. Yeah, the trek, yeah, yeah. The trek through uh, to Mount Tantus is pretty... I When I was watching or listening the second time, I skipped Yeah, me that. too. And like on a certain level, I kind of appreciate it because it's like it's showing how Luke and Mara's relationship has progressed since, mm-hmm. uh, since that time. But at the same time, it was like, you know, we didn't really need uh, that. I do like it in a way because it's almost like something you'd see in an old fantasy book, um, where like they've got a ridiculous distance they need to cover. Like they say, it's going to take probably with all the terrain 13 days is what mara says yeah um so they're traveling what like over 100 kilometers it seems um and it's quite a journey and i mean it's kind of cool that they're going through this alien planet and stuff and everything but once you go through one time it gets pretty tedious mm-hmm. um you can only hear about them moving droids for so long or you know especially where we had something similar only a few books ago with courtship of princess Leia, like all of that is basically tracking yeah. through and do the uh, putting the net down. 
Yeah, like there, there's parts of the the trek in uh, Last Command and the last one in the Thrawn trilogy that I, I just can't even separate properly now. So it's hard for me to even talk about it because it it's just which, which one happened, which and, and very little actually. I like the main thing with that walk in Last Command is like uh, them getting tracked by the Nogri as well, um, mm. and kind of figuring out what's going on with that. So I f- I just felt like that could have been compressed a bit more, and like I I don't hate that it's there. It's just that if there were something to oh, sacrifice no, no. for more battle, uh, I I would be fine with swapping that. It's kind of nice to see uh, Lando and Han and everyone together again. But yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's it's once you've read the book, it's very skippable. Um, back to the beginning though. One thing I thought was really funny is uh leia and han it's like right before leia gives birth and they're on like a final diplomatic mission to um to filvy i think and um they're attacked by star destroyers and han goes i thought you said the nogri were off your back <laughs> the like, whole star destroyer and she's like she's like what are you talking about of course they are and he's like yeah i guess <laughs> like fine <laughs> Han, I think you understand things a lot less than you think you do. <laughs> Weren't you a general? Like they, they were just giving away general ships. Yeah, that's true. Him and Lando, yeah, just, just I don't know. I just have that in my notes. Han thinking it's no greed because it's like eh, I don't know. <laughs> Crack and twist after that, which is pretty cool. Um. There's a few times that the uh, Thrawn trilogy goes pretty in deep. They're in depth into like how hyperspace works. Yeah. And because so they're worried that um, so there's the Millennium Falcon and Rogue Squadron um, over. They're being chased by these Star Destroyers and also Sabayoth, who has moved his ships into position because he wants to capture uh, Leia so badly uh, because she's pregnant with Jedi twins. Um so Han and Wedge have developed this technique called the crack and twist. And basically because they know that the empire can listen to their communications, they say, okay, we'll do the crack and twist and then we'll meet at these hyperspace coordinates. And then they do sort of a complicated maneuver. Um, so uh, an observer would think that the crack and twist refers to that maneuver itself. However, what it actually is, is changing the hyperspace coordinates slightly. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's basically just a cover for the true information that's being passed over. I don't know. I thought that was a cool yeah, little... Uh, yeah. Like, moments like that are really satisfying in this uh, trilogy because it just... It works so well with how we've understood, like, the universe to work. Like, interdiction um, bubbles, for example, and uh, the Thrawn pincer makes a lot of sense because it's something that if we had thought about, you know you could understand that that works within the universe. And then you see Thrawn do something like that. And it's just kind of, it, it's good for world building. It makes everything feel kind of earned and makes Thrawn's intelligence feel a bit more real, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, there's also like with this scene with, uh, I think it's the battle of caught Chris again, where they're trying to think like, how is Thrawn doing this? And then wedge kind of realizes what's going on with the interdictors. Like, Oh, I'm overestimating it. I'm giving them too much credit. And the tone we kind of get with all the battle scenes is like 
this is all hopeless and we're outmatched. But then you start kind of progressing through that as like, oh, actually, this is what's going on, but we still can't do anything about it. And I think all that was really cool too. Just the the way the and I agree. Uh, the emotional growth of Wedge Antilles throughout mm. this book, being unable to recognize people he'd seen five minutes ago. Uh, multiple times uh, yeah no I, I agree with that though um but I, I do like how uh the idea of like thrawn is just so good basically that his mere uh like the fact that he's commanding imperial forces completely messes up everything the new republic wants to do because they're always second guessing themselves yeah um and they kind and of uh... always sorry go ahead yeah uh, no mine's I was gonna say they're always second guessing themselves. If if they have an opportunity, they always think it's because Thrawn has opened them up to that opportunity. Um, so it's like the real psychological warfare, and that really gives a lot of credibility to the Thrawn duology that we get later. Yeah. Because in that book, just Thrawn rumor of Thrawn reemerging is basically enough to set the galaxy like a flame. Um, so reading those two together, I think, is really cool. Yeah. Um, so after that we so after the main again we don't always cover things chronologically but it helps at this point yeah. um we we get for chest and we we get kind of like the the beginning of the final stage of talon cards character arc i think yeah um and it's it's kind and of the funny. beginning it's of really his open credit that... line with the new republic crucially yes He's just I love like, how Luke can well, just authorize that. It's like, yeah, yeah my sister's the chief kind of, of state, strange. so I can, I can just do these. Not even chief of state at this point. She's just or, uh, yeah. That's yeah. Krillian trilogy seeping in from. <laughs> but when it's Mon like, Mothma uh, sends Luke to help get Lando get laid, like Jesus Christ, <laughs> Luke, this is perhaps your most important mission yet. <laughs> Lando's in the middle Lando's of a dry spell. Dry <laughs> <laughs> it's important for to you too to go. And... <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> we see that the clones are kind of a like Thrawn using clones. It's smart from a logistical perspective but the second he starts using clones he basically pisses off like a lot of people mm-hmm. um like he, a lot of the smugglers become scared of him talon card once he finds out um how quickly the clones are being uh, grown is even more scared he's a reluctant supporter of the new republic uh mara although she probably would have uh turned good either way she couches her uh turn in the uh the fact that there are clones there um, she says she'd seen the clone or she was young enough to remember or old enough to remember something about the clone wars. Um, That's actually something I wanted yeah. to talk about was uh, Mar- Mara's character growth throughout the both these books and kind of how she ends up getting portrayed later, which may be more of a conversation for uh, for later episodes more so than now. But just how much of what she's doing is a reflection of her like she's generally inherently more aligned with uh the the yeah. good side or even even if not the new republic at least not being imperial yeah. uh versus and, and that 
her evilness is just uh or like her desire to kill luke being the main thing but just her general lack of a desire to work with the new republic is kind of this leftover influence from palpatine but then in some of the future books before we get back to uh timothy zahn handling her we kind of get a a portrayal of her as like very pro-imperial still uh and how much do you think actually comes from this and how much is in the text with this versus how much is fan perceptions or other authors not really going the direction that was kind of laid out here yeah so i mean i think it's pretty clear there's one moment in this book that really solidifies mara's character and that's the uh attempted uh stealing of the twins or the kidnapping of the twins because mara has literally no reason to besides for protecting herself what she does she's got no reason to stick her neck out for leia yeah um the only reason she does though is because she's she's got uh, empathy i guess and also because leia had been like starting to become a friend to her not i guess it's more so afterward that they have that talk but but still like that alone i think really solidifies everything and once she breaks the empire the emperor's spell which happens i think when they're walking towards mount tantis and she, everything kind of falls into place for her. She realizes that Luke is uh, Anakin's son and that Palpatine was really just trying to get at Vader with everything. Uh, and she realizes basically how she's been manipulated. Yeah. And he stops trying to like correct against her kind of baser judgments because she is a good person. She's just been mind washed and uh, manipulated from basically birth to be yeah. this, you know, soldier of the Empire. So I think um timothy's on sets her character up basically maybe not the romance stuff although i guess there is a little bit in the final chapter but yeah i um, I think it's something that was kind of left open but i don't think that was his intent going in uh i agree although the fact that she gets luke's lightsaber uh even if not from a romantic perspective means that he wanted her to be a very big character yeah um i just kind of wonder you know, you set up a universe where you've got this powerful, um, this really powerful Jedi with a history with Luke, uh, then Luke itself. Both of them are without romantic attachments. They're about the same age. Luke gives her their lightsaber, or his lightsaber. They're meant to be connected. And I kind of wonder, like, how in a universe as, like, schlocky as Star Wars, how you can't kind of know that that's what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, and crucially, the whole... Uh, Jedi don't get married thing hadn't really been set up directly like it may have been a thing that George Lucas was intending from the get-go but it wasn't this established part of the media as we knew it Uh, and kind of the thing that George Lucas always points to or that gets brought up as one of the reasons that George isn't a huge fan of Mara uh, is like Luke isn't supposed to get married he's a Jedi Uh, but as far as the broader expanded universe was concerned when the Thrawn trilogy came out. That wasn't a thing yet, really. Uh, but one of the things with uh, Mara that comes out is uh, like no one's ever really said, I'm going to kill you and then actually done it like for months in advance. So that's usually a sign against like yeah. her being serious about this. So sorry, what were you going to say? Uh-huh. No, no, that's that's a great point. I mean, Leia says the exact same thing too when they talk after, um, after the attempted yeah. kidnapping. But I always thought George Lucas's kind of um, being against Jedi marriage was weird, 
because when I watch the prequels, I don't get the idea that like all of this weird like uh, doctrine and rules that the Jedi have. I don't get the the feeling that that's meant to be portrayed in a positive light. Like no, for me, like the relationship between Padme and Anakin, like that's a good thing. It 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 turns out poorly because uh, he has to follow all of these Jedi rules. He can't talk about like like being scared of your wife dying during childbirth is like a very normal yeah. thing. Sorry, I just um, had especially uh, if you... Windows pop up. That's no one else's computer. That's my bad. So sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I was just saying that. Uh, yeah, being scared of your wife dying during childbirth is is normal, especially we've had a very traumatic past. The whole like series basically tells us that it's impossible to stop humans from falling in love. We have love is and family connection is what saves Vader at the end of the day. Yeah. So like, why then would you be against marriage? Like it just, uh, for me that I'm not going to tell George, he doesn't understand star Wars. Cause obviously he does. <laughs> he made it, but it, I, I, to me, like being against that kind of misses the point. I think. Well, it's, it's definitely a good critique of the Jedi order. Just as like you, there's only so much compassion you can preach when you're also preaching complete detachment. Uh, and like, yeah, there's the fear of like, it will lead to fear, jealousy, anger, suffering, but it's a way to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> like talking to Yoda and Yoda not saying she dies, she dies <laughs> like Ivan Drago. <laughs> <laughs> and like everyone knows that all the Jedi had like unofficial relationships. So yeah. it even happens in, uh, tell me, okay. You're going to tell me Mace Windu, <laughs> Mace Windu wasn't you know partying on the weekends <laughs> he was big time <laughs> I, well you look at the clone wars and that's a series with george lucas's involvement more so than anything else other than the movies and we get like the obi-wan exactly. stuff so and he's like the most rigid of the jedi like qui-gon for example i can't imagine qui-gon like I can't, I can't imagine Qui-Gon like not taking a wife because of Jedi reasons. Like, I, I don't know. Like I can imagine a Je Qui-Gon being just as good of a Jedi and dealing with fear and, you know, everything else will not, um, you know, will not really compromising his character and having a wife. Yeah. And um, like Obi-Wan is sort of the, the stand in for like the, the best of the Jedi following their code in the prequels. And the fact that we even get that from him is pretty indicative of what's exactly. going on. Left the order for her, so. Yeah. Um, but they, like, you'd also have to assume have to. that literally everyone is a completely, especially Obi-Wan, is like a blind idiot and doesn't notice what's going on with Padme and Anakin and has been since they met. Like, like if you're ever in like a group of friends, if two of them start banging, it's always really <laughs> obvious. <laughs> like... <laughs> Come on. Padme, you well, seem very pregnant. Uh, How did this happen? Oh. Where's Anakin been? Padme How and I are going. She's going to help me with my lightsaber training. <laughs> like, and like the, the tragedy of Obi-Wan too is it, it's pretty obvious that he knew about Padme and Anakin. Yeah. Um, he was just trying to be time. a bro about it and then gets. Yeah. Who bro? Like he probably could have talked Anakin off the ledge. Um, if, 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 if Obi-Wan had been there, um, when Palpatine kind of emerged and Palpatine probably emerged because he wasn't there. 
because they were split up. But if, if he had been there, he probably could have been like the father figure that um, Anakin needed or the maybe not father figure, but the friend. Yeah. Or the just support generally that he needed. And uh, um, so if people would like to see more of our discussion of the Revenge of the Sith novelization, you can find that. <laughs> but anyway, that's why I, I don't get like, yeah. I think there are reasons not to like Mara Jade. She's a little cliche sometimes. I personally like her as a character. Me too. Um, but the whole Jedi don't get married thing I've always thought is so stupid. Mm-hmm. At least if you're going to, if you're going to, yeah. If they're gonna be old monks like 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 Obi Wan is in Episode Four. That's fine, but that's like really the only movie that portrayed them that way. Well, the, it was kind of like an extrapolation of everything Obi Wan was doing on Tatooine. It's like Obi Wan was wearing that robe, which you'd assume yeah. is because of the environment that he was wearing that. But no, that's the standard outfit of the Jedi. And Obi Wan apparently wasn't getting laid on Tatooine, so <laughs> no Jedi got laid. Yeah. Um, that's kind of, that's like Star Wars' biggest problem. It's like all Twi'leks yeah. are dancers, all Huts are criminals, all Mandalorians are bounty hunters, or all people who wear armor like that are bounty hunters. It's the basically the an immediate flanderization of everything that gets mentioned in Star Wars. First thing you see about a species or a person or just anything dictates everything about them. <laughs> yeah. Uh... But, eh. So. <laughs> we got really off track Yeah, there. well, I think that's all very important to the characterization of Mar- Marjade. Well, th- that, was a, that was a question that we had come up in the emails as well, uh, was about. Uh, so if we want to just finish off this with that question, I'll, I'll, stop, sure. I'll stop delaying and read it right off, because uh, I have totally found the question. I was wondering, nope, that's... Um, and why do you think that Mara Jade, even if she never meets Luke, is banned from Disney canon? She seems like she could still be a great character's emperor hands smuggler. I don't think she's really banned. It's just like all the essential parts of Mara wouldn't, like, yeah. and how she relates to people wouldn't really be there. There'd probably be, like, the kind of the Inquisitors have taken over that role. So Trilla would kind of almost fill that role now. All right. Uh, do I have a co host? Eck. Womp womp. Can you guys hear me at least? Right, we are apparently having technical difficulties, maybe? I don't know. It, it seems like it's still working on my end. I'm going to move. Oh. oh, just a second. Mike failed. All right. So nothing, nothing's going wrong. Uh, everything's fine here. We're all fine. Uh, how, how are you? Uh, okay, I was worried that you guys can hear me either, and that's all that really matters. But, uh, but yeah, so... I, I don't think Mara is necessarily banned. It's just like the, the things that we'd associate most with her, uh, those plots aren't really going to go anywhere. So if she got put back in, it wouldn't really be to do much. Uh, you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. Perfect. Sorry about that. No, you, you better yeah, be sorry. I, might just go. I, I'm very sorry. That was not cool of me. Not cool or epic. 
but yeah no you, you're right though like there's there's no there's no real room for mara anymore i, I do like how at the beginning of the uh the last jedi novelization uh luke dreams basically about his life um had he not become a jedi and i was like oh because he, he talks about um you know settling down with a woman that could have made it mara but it's uh what's her name the other his friend from Tatooine, who appears in the deleted scenes, is it Tammy or I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't read the novelization. I want to, but I've never gotten around to it. I'm excited for the episode nine novelization because that thing's probably going to be massive. That's, it's going to be its own trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what's next? I guess so. We talked about Mara. We talked about. We answered the question. Um. I kind of want to talk about winter because winter, yeah. I remember when I first read this book um, for the first time, and I mentioned this, I feel like it really does set winter up to be uh, the fourth member of the, like, I guess there's already four with Chewie, but no, that, but also you, you kind of don't realize as much if you don't separate your mind as like somebody who's read it before, but I feel like it's meant to set winter up as a perhaps secret agent um, for the empire for the empire. Okay. I didn't, I didn't get that. So yeah, because this interests me. I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter. So we know that she has an amazing memory. Um, we know that she uh, she's very close to everybody. We know that she's basically running the program to help try to find Delta Source. There are some occasions where she acts pretty sketchy. Um, if you don't know the kind of character she is, like she'll walk off basically. Um, and something will happen or like, I'm just trying to think of other examples, but, but yeah, I don't know. I, I do think that she's supposed to be set up as the kind of fall guy and then it's like, no, it's actually a plant. Yeah. Well, I definitely get that, like using her as an intended, uh, Delta source, uh, misdirect. But so are, were you thinking that she was being set up to actually be eventually revealed to be well, an Imperial agent or... No, no, no. I just think I, I think Timothy Zahn is like teasing it that she might be, yeah. and then turns out she's actually good. Um, <laughs> turns out it was well, the foliage I mean, we should have been watching the whole time, right? But I mean, like p- part of the fact is she's basically readily accepted into the inner circle of the Skywalkers and the Solos. Like it's basically like she is as close as anyone else without that last name. Mm-hmm. And that's mostly because of her upbringing with Leia. So it's like possible that something could have happened, whether she was paid off or whatever. Um, she's just tired of having to take Jane and Jason that uh, she swapped sides. Um, so that was kind of the thing that when I originally yeah. read it made me not think it was her just because like it was supposed to be all this evidence and maybe you're supposed to think it, but ultimately that bond with Leia was more mm-hmm. important. And to me, like the weirdest mm-hmm. thing about her was just that we've literally n- never seen her when she's like apparently been the most important person in Leia's life until then. Yeah. People do have good points too uh, in the chat. Uh, when she's talking to Luke about Joe Mark and then Thrawn knows Luke is going there in the next yeah. chapter. So there, and yeah, that's from the last book. And there are a few other points where, she knows information and we know that she knows information and then Delta Soros passes it on to the empire. But um, is there any culpability for anyone for not having figured out Delta Source before? 
I think there has to be. Because that, like... It's pretty bad. It's... Yeah. You want to explain how Delta Source works, just in case people are listening but haven't read right. the Right, so... Delta Source is a tree that, uh, well, we don't know it's a tree until later in this book, but it's an information source that is deep within the New Republic government. They don't know if it's a group of people, one person. Uh, they assume it's not a mechanical listening device because they sweep the palace all the time, but there's this never-ending leak that oh, that has been happening ever since they moved into the Imperial Palace. And that should have kind of been the first hint. But yeah, maybe move into one of the other 10 million skyscrapers in Imperial City. Yeah, there's like there's like six things that happen in this book. It's like we're still finding all the Empire secrets. Like, you know, you have a massive leak. You're getting broken into left and right. They're like, this is this is just bad. This is terrible. Whoever was in charge of this plan should be fired. And uh, what it turns out is that in like the kind of main foyer, uh, there's a series of trees that are working as organic microphones uh, that kind of light up, and that's how Leia finds out that they're doing stuff. And uh, like those uh, those flowers that you'll that when you touch them, they kind of will like recoil. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that, but basically, like they react to stimuli. Yeah, it, um, it goes deep enough into the room that they could like an analog yeah. symbol or analog signal kind of. And that's kind of how they say they weren't able to detect it with their sweeps because it was just buried too deep underground and like th- only a few people like Thrawn had access to the information it would have been transmitting. So yeah. uh, I guess St. Pestage, uh, he was already yeah. gone, but he's on Q-Trick right now. So yeah. he should technically um, have had access. I mean, but to be fair, Palpatine's about to come back as well. Yeah. So, well, he never left. Don't call it a comeback. He was gone for like he was flown through the void for a few months. He's already building up his forces. There's yeah, already... but I mean, his spirit was like gone for a bit, and then it returned to abyss. Into the abyss. See, that's that's where the name comes from. But, but yeah, it's so like Leia just kind of has a hunch and sees this stuff happen. Like, wait a minute really frustrating to, to reread these sections when you know what's happening <laughs> yeah that's another one of the things with star wars like sometimes it downplays everyone else doing their job because one of the main characters needs to figure out everything just the the yeah, amount of access that like... they have is ridiculous so like if you're just picturing yourself living in this galaxy or working for that government and just seeing what goes on and like if mm. any like she's eventually becomes the chief of state at first she's just like a regular senator and all this is happening she gets like clearance to do whatever she wants she breaks so many laws but it's okay they're just running the war room yeah. basically like couldn't they have had like drayson solve it like well, can we have drayson. a redemption for my no, boy no. drayson <laughs> they they tried they tried to throw him a bone and ask him oh you know more about star destroyers than anything probably because oh. you lost to so many so you know what they're good at <laughs> You've seen the side of a turbo laser before. <laughs> uh, uh, you're being a total Drayson. Yeah, Drayson sucks. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, so the winter thing is interesting. Um, and she ends up marrying Taiko Selku, as I'm sure many of the chat knows. And they have children, I think. A couple of them. 
think they have two. This would be a Wikipedia moment. I don't remember. I remember they're mentioned in Fate of the Jedi because I'm pretty sure Tycho's like an admiral then or something. Yeah, Tycho <laughs> ends up going to fight for... Uh, fight for, for the, the GA. Does he fight for the GA? I th- when no, the GA yeah, is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wedge yeah, it's when the GA is against the Jedi. Yeah. He, like, basically, he, like, works with the Jedi in the end, but yeah. technically, like, fulfills his role. Um, yeah, that that all gets very messy with the affiliations during the Second Galactic Civil War. Yeah. If you were trying to make an Empire yeah. War mod out of it, it'd be just so messy to script. Yeah. Oh, you're right. It is. It is. It is legacy of the Force, not fate of the Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the so Winter was in charge of finding Delta Source or part of that, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's a tree. She doesn't find it. Oh, cool. But how goddamn much have they like? What's his name? Um, the hacker. Uh, Gent? Am I forgetting his name? How much money should they have paid Gent? Like, Gent basically okay. came through. First off, a lot. Second off, lot. he should not have been allowed anywhere near anything. Hacked my way into the war room, didn't I? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're about to be executed. <laughs> you know too much. It's treason. <laughs> <laughs> well, not treason, just... He's not... It yeah. can't be treason if you don't belong to the New Republic or don't live in the New Republic. Space jurisdiction yeah. gets kind of weird here. We need a. It does. In uh, like, what planet does he belong to? Is it like the planet of his birth? Do you like? Because then maybe he is a New Republic citizen. Well, is Talon Card Smuggler's like Organization considered its own independent entity? No, I just think it's powerful enough that usually it can operate as one yeah so maybe it is treason maybe he's an imperial citizen maybe he's from a world that no one cares about probably that i think if you're in new republic space though because if you're trade if you're uh trading spice in new republic space you're breaking the new republic's laws they're gonna arrest your ass yeah but how how often is he op well obviously he's operating there when mm-hmm. he is breaking all their security systems uh, in the middle of their capital during a time of war when they're being attacked by an enemy and have an unknown information source <laughs> within their capital that they can't track. Uh, and you, want, you wonder why they're having security issues. Yeah. It just um, seems like it might be a bit poorly organized. We'll say, though, the raid on Coruscant by Thrawn is, like, such a cool moment in the book. Yeah. Because, like, we see... It's not very often you see like stuff from that perspective, like where you see a faction truly under like attack and like full emergency in the war room. Uh, like when they're waking people up, Leia's there in like her, her bathrobe. <laughs> and it's just like, like it's like it, it really feels like uh, like an emergency uh, in a way. There, there's two moments in this book, I think, that do like an amazing job of feeling stressful and tense. That is one of them, but even more so, I would say, is the kidnapping attempt um, of the children. Uh, I'd I'd also say at some point during the fight with Sabaoth, uh, except for the fact that you know at that point in the book it's not going to work out for them, or for Sabaoth, uh, just because of the position. (laughs) But 
you know when also uh, the the final battle of Bill Bringy is starting, and there's like ten pages left. You know, you're just like, oh, <laughs> this isn't going to go well for Thrawn, is it? No. Yeah, it's it, it's so cl- like I was really surprised at how late it actually came in, because for some reason I had mm-hmm. pictured or I'd remembered there being more to the actual battle in the book, but there really is. Yeah, there's very little. Uh, it's really just them. It's Wedge rescuing Aves, and that's mm. really all we get out of the battle. Yep. Because if they don't like the climaxes aren't concurrent. No. Like we have Sabayoth die, and then Thrawn dies. Like, but there's still quite a bit left in the battle of what there is anyway. Um, it's just kind of weird that. Uh, that the tension doesn't rise and fall at the yeah. same time. Because like once Sabayoth is dead, you know basically what's going to happen. So it's like you can't really... I wasn't fully invested for the battle anyway. Yeah, well, you you already know the battle is technically pointless mm. as far as the New Republic goes. Like, they don't need the Crystal Graffield trap. Uh, we just know that Thrawn is going to die with this somehow. Uh, so the battle is kind of underwhelming, to be honest. But the... It is, yeah. Uh, the showdown between uh, Mara and Luke and Sabaoth is uh, Luke. I it's, to me when I'd ever when I remembered the book between now and the last time I read it, it was usually thinking the opposite that uh, I hadn't been into the throne room uh, confrontation as much, but that I'd like the Battle of Bill Bringy had really stuck out to me because it is the Battle of Bill Bringy. It's occupies this huge place in the star wars battle pantheon but ultimately yep. it was just a very really. short thing where you don't get much you don't even get anything from akbar really no it it was barely even a ruse uh, i think let me say it's a trap again maybe uh he says some like very stilted version of that where it's like <laughs> clearly you're trying to reference this and it's not going well we've been you. trapped <laughs> I think yeah. we need to consider that um, this was a trap or something. Can, can I just say how badly Thrawn outplays um, Akbar in this entire campaign, though? Yeah. Well, he was getting tripped like by Akbar his own side, too. Bad. So if Akbar had been... I think the kind of thing that Akbar they set went. up in uh, in Heir to the Empire and Dark Force Rising is that had Akbar not been shackled by Borsphalia's attempts to uh, replace him he would have been able to stop Thrawn's build-up more. And at this point, his hands are kind of tied, uh, and he's kind of playing catch-up the whole time because Thrawn has had all this time to put in his own plans. And Akbar even kind of says as much when he's getting cleared for everything. I mean, still, the New Republic has more ships at this point. And when it comes to the Battle of Bilbringi, that is just Akbar being outmaneuvered yeah. because he plays right Tactically, in for sure. But strategically, it's more portrayed well, it's as a strategic a... thing too. Because everybody else in the Empire, Thrawn's the only one who makes the right call, basically. And I wonder if Akbar had been leading the Empire, whether he would have fallen for the feint um, at where is it again? Where do they uh, end the build up uh... <laughs> for um... the attack on uh, Coruscant when they're doing Borlaeus to Coruscant? No, no, I mean at the end, like the New Republic faints an attack on, on Tangreen. Uh, Tangreen, yeah. Yeah. And like Pelion's like, 
listen, intelligence has looked at it and they say there's a 97% chance or whatever that the attack is on Tang Green. And Thrawn's like, he's like, you idiot. <laughs> You're a book holder. It's almost like they're really going um, there, isn't it, old Gilly? Uh, sir, I just don't think that, I just don't think that Akbar would have fallen for that. Or I, th- I think Akbar would have fallen for that. And I mean, yeah. he's not able to, he's not able to analyze Thrawn as well as Thrawn analyzes him. So I think he gets outplayed and he would have been destroyed, I think. But for even with the Smuggler's Alliance thing, I don't think the New Republic would have been able to survive Thrawn. That's fair. If, if like, I, I think it definitely puts Thrawn as above Akbar. But throughout the series, I don't think we get like hints at Akbar kind of understanding what Thrawn is doing. And mm. especially in the last I two agree. books uh, where he's saying like, oh, he, these the rest of these idiots around me don't know what's going on. Thrawn is clearly doing X, Y, and Z. And he's at least read about X and Y, even if Thrawn is like playing 3D chess on Z that Akbar can't understand. But <laughs> I like how he is he's got Akbar's art, and I just imagine him going, It's pretty shit, but <laughs> <laughs> this idiot did a macaroni picture in grade three that <laughs> I wish we would have because he's got the art of um of Akbar and Bel Iblis, and I guess he, I guess that's how he figures out about the Tang Green um, faint. But we don't really get his thought process, and I kind of wish we did because there's lots of points where Pelion is challenging, like Thrawn, on this idea that no, the, the attack is actually on uh, Tang Green, uh, and we never get Thrawn's thought process. Like we never get the rationale of why that's not right. We at the end we get the fact that he does mention actually those uh people those people meant to look like Rogue Squadron aren't actually Rogue Squadron they're fakes but besides from that we never get the rationale for why he was able to sniff out this trap and I would have liked that. Uh, on some level I would have, but at the same time the times in the trilogy where he's tried to do that have fallen flat for me and kind of resulted in ten minute rants on the podcast. Uh, so I am, I, I'm kind of, I'm happier with what we got than it being a repeat of what we got in Heir to the Empire, especially, uh, all ships emergency combat stay status, Admiral Akbar's gravelly voice cut in on the comm defensive configuration, starfighter command to screen positions. It appears to be a trap. And that's something yeah. that happens a lot in uh, the whole trilogy, but this book yes. I picked up on several, uh, including some that are in the like within two pages of each other. On page ninety-eight, uh, when Luke is coming into uh, to Honegar, uh, yeah. and yeah. he's flying down into the mountains, it's like, oh, it's these trenches, just like uh, just like mm-hmm. the Death Star. And one page yeah. later. Uh, he tells R2 to like, and that, that's understandable. That's clear imagery where it's called back to what happened and like, sure. Great. But then one page later, we don't need another OT reference this soon after. And it's just, uh, something like stay in the ship. Not like that first time on Dagobah. It's like, really? oh, you sound like a hater. Yeah. I'm, I'm a hater. I'm just here to shit on the Thrawn trilogy. No, I, I, I do agree. Um, we also get like moments i think leia has one too where she's like and this made me feel like or that, that brought uncomfortable memories of whatever um so yeah this book does do yeah. that a lot and i i think it is partially because 
this is like the first of the kind of rebranded or revitalized EU. Um, well, there were so some points where it get kind of meta too that I didn't really like. Like in the really? in the in the talk between her and Mara, uh, when she was talking about her own experience with Alderaan blowing up, she even said something like, "And then on in that conversation with Tarkin, when George got us to do the third take, I, by then I was just like, it's <laughs> a bit too much." George doesn't let you wear a bra either. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have boobs. You're a book character. Okay, um, this got. Weirder than I'd intended with that joke, but uh, let's move on, baby. <laughs> I see in your notes you have Mara the emo teen. Do you want to talk about that? Just that conversation with Leia. Like you wouldn't understand. It's like uh, Mara, <laughs> my planet blew up. You dumb piece of shit. It's like oh okay. <laughs> no, no, that's fair. That's fair. My whole world died because a wrinkly geriatric got thrown down a shaft. (laughs) Okay, okay, we've all got dead grandparents. Let's calm down. You had more Instagram followers when the Empire existed. Let's get over it. (laughs) I was verified on Twitter. Now I'm banned. Damn you, Jack Dorsey. (laughs) Now I'm banned. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> when the new administration came in and took over, took my rave Shadow Legends money. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, she does that in the first book too. Um, but at that point, she's still so like mean that she doesn't at yeah. least recognize that she's being that way. In this book, she's like, she's like, I said this, but there was it's like Mara said that, but there was no true anger there. Yeah, she's basically just like. Like, like the the emperor is just a giant bitch, and like everyone that he comes in contact with is just like ruined, and she's still dealing with that. So. Yeah, like in the first book, uh, and even a bit into Dark Force Rising, she's clearly dealing. She like through the whole series, she's dealing with uh, the after effects from the emperor. But in the first few books, it's like no, this is her trying to be who she is. Uh, yeah. Whereas by the third one, there's like a bit more self awareness to the petulance that it's. That's what Petulant prompted is a great the, word as well. the emo teen note. No, I agree. What about show Dana 223? What does that mean? Oh, don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I was listening to the end of today, the audiobook with Kelsey today. And we got to the, cause just, we were driving around Gus fell asleep in the car and I was like, do you mind if I listen to the end of this? Um, cause I got the podcast and she was like, yeah, sure. So I put it on, and one of the very first things that happens is um, Sabayoth does his force scream, and the audiobook version of that is so fucking funny. It's like, <laughs> but oh my god, it, it is so good. And look, Kelsey's just I, like she didn't say anything. I don't think I think she kind of pretended not to notice. And I was just like, oh my god, like what does she think I'm listening to here? Uh, so this this is crucial information I need to interrupt with. Sorry. Uh, according to Jacob Cornwell in the chat, by the way, Cordy, there is twenty four dryleys in the book and four sardonicles. Normally, we try because it is an audio podcast. We don't we don't read the chat directly out as much, but that was something that was very important for the uh, the through line of the podcast. So, thank you for that. I'm legitimately shocked that there's only four sardonicles. He really pulled it back because last one. I'm going to say that there's seriously chapters that have 
maybe not double digit sardonicles, but close single chapters. Yeah, that, that sounds right. And at some point in Last Command, we actually get something that is said both dryly and sardonically. So um, we got we get warbled later on. I was thinking it was warbled in this, but I think we do get quite a few warbled, but it's mostly in, I think, the duology that things start warbling. Mostly droids. The snap hiss. The snap hiss is just fantastic. There, there's a and certain amount of catharsis that comes with a good snap hiss, but crooked smiles and whatnot. That's just a, a signature Han thing. So anytime Card it happens with Thrawn, well, anytime it happens with Han, it doesn't count. So if Card doesn't once, that's that's fine. Uh, there are thirteen sardonicles in Dark Force. Is that it? Be working. That doesn't seem right. I I think you're just maybe they're just really heavy large, Yeah, it, we're really on the lookout for it now. In the book, uh, I believe it opens in tap or no, there, it doesn't open a tap cap. There's a tap calf. Uh, Whistler's Three World. There's have... yeah, all the Whistler's use the word tap calf as well on all three. Yeah, but I wonder if that was a WEG thing or if that was invented tap calves? here. Yeah, that's a good question because this could be the initial invented. tap calves. Yeah. No, well, every D and D game starts in like a tavern. That's true. So Star Wars there's needed some story or something. Yeah, yeah, Star Wars needed a tavern name, and it couldn't just be tavern. So it's almost guaranteed to be West End Games. He had Cantina though, but yeah, no, you're you're right. There's probably a scenario or something that used it. What's next? Uh, let's just. I'm just looking chronologically through the book to see if we've... Well, hold on. Is is Tap Calf Transmissions a better name than Cantina Conversations? I can't say confidently that it is, no. Do we need a subtitle or a rebranding here? We're, we're in too far now. Especially a word... Like, this was, this was our failure as people who don't understand our jobs, but a word that can be spelled two different ways and even uh, more was... inconsistent on it, that's, that was a, a, a yeah. big yikes from us. It's it's spelled tap cafe with an e in the book, so it is yeah, it is. Um, but sh- 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 it's all okay. <laughs> uh, why did I write lightsaber poke three thirty eight? I was trying to make sure, like, because it's been so long since the last episode. Uh, I read Last Command like right after, uh, we did Dark Force Rising. So there are a couple notes here that maybe stuck out to me at the time that didn't rereads and what's going what on kind of stuck out to me is the fact that um bell iblis can't just help lando on nick one he's like we got to go back we got to get an assault forget me we can drag this stuff you know into space but like you've got a dreadnought very 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 help? different very different uh see an assault frigate is a modified dreadnought <laughs> So it, I wonder it if that was, be... yeah, that probably wasn't the intention though at this time, was it? Uh, dreadnoughts did exist in Western games, but I, I, I doubt assault frigates did. I can't remember though, because dreadnoughts were in the Imperial Source book, but assault frigates wouldn't have been because that wasn't a new that was a New Republic thing mostly. I don't know what he was intended to have. Maybe they he was thinking like Nebulon B or something would be what he was driving, but. Yeah. You're not driving. But no, like he mm-hmm. they wouldn't have taken away Peregrine from him. 
Oh, he was he had a dreadnought. He had a dreadnought yeah. because yeah. And unless the Salt Frigate just meant like a Mon Imperial. Calamari ship or something. Because I'm trying to think of what possible. they would. But then it's a Salt Frigate. He still said Frigate. Yeah, but is Star Wars ever really? No, but like if you're thinking like I'm going to get a bigger ship, then. Actually, the Home 1 was called the Home 1 Frigate for a while. That's true. So. Hmm. This is a, we should tweet at a bunch of people. Uh, let, let's call Matt. <laughs> I think he likes me very much. Oh no! Do you want to talk about it? Did you drop again? No. Oh, <laughs> just just <laughs> see. Without the face cam, it's hard to tell what's in a moment of introspection and what's technical difficulty. Well, I have so few moments of introspection, especially so. Oh. Uh, I can't close this thing off. Um, one thing I like throughout this book is just the there are several chapters where people are just getting shit on. Uh, we already talked about Admiral Drayson, but I like how basically every time Abe's is there, Talon Curse is like, "Man, this guy fucking sucks." <laughs> like, we need to get Mara back. <laughs> yeah, it's meant to be more of a pro Mara thing, but it it ends up being it, an anti Abe's thing. He does fine whenever Card and Mara aren't there, though. He ends up leading the smugglers into. Uh, into Bill Bringy. Well, until um, until what's his name takes over, Mazik, or Mazik takes over. Yeah, I, I think Mazik takes over at Bill Bringy because yeah, like, yeah, you can have command if you want. He's like, I was gonna take it anyway. <laughs> yeah, because they all thought Card was gonna well, had just sold him out essentially. Yeah, and who can blame them? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I, I've got this that was the dumbest. Go yeah, to. like. All right, so we cleared my name, but I've got to go. Exactly. What did you um, think speaking about... Of, I, okay. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to redirect into the whole Smuggler's Alliance subplot. So if you've got something else you want to talk about with what we were already talking uh, that's about. That's probably a, that's more relevant. Let's talk about that. Well, I prefer less relevant stuff. So what were you going to say? Um. So Borsk Failure is really uh, insistent that the empire has to be stopped at Mount Tantus. Um, and the Thrawn duology later, they find a copy of the Kamas document in, but it's like a, I'm pretty sure it's like a doctored copy, but anyway, there's evidence of the, uh, evidence of the Bothan people's involvement in the firebombing of Kamas, uh, in Mount Tantus. Do you think that's what he was worried about? Or I, was there something else? I think it probably is. And I'm assuming that, uh, what Zahn intended was for that information to have been transferred from Mount Tantus, uh, along with the cloning stuff. And we, we kind of get a very short window for when that all could have been done, because we know that there's a uh, a cloning cylinder on Nerowan. Mm -hmm. And we know that this information, or like some information is clearly from Mount Tantus, uh, or is at least heavily implied by Borsphalia to be on Mount Tantus that we later have references to with uh with the hand of Thrawn. but the the time that like they first talk about the clones page 364 Thrawn and pelion are talking about it um and they want to they want to clone joris and Thrawn is saying not at mount tantus certainly given the conditions there uh Oh yeah, 
and he saying says, he could so do it in the unknown regions that he had pacified for the empire. Yeah. So mm. interesting little setup there. Yeah, and that's like a week and almost before. Yeah, battle. So I don't. Know. I mean, all of this book, I mean, all of this trilogy, and everything Timothy Zahn does really just shows how important it is to have a singular vision for like anything that's three, you know, pieces of media long. Because half of what pays off in this book is set up in the first third of book one. Mm -hmm. And, like, can you imagine if they tried to write the Thrawn trilogy with three different authors? Like, and, like, like I am making reference to Episode 9 because, like, very little of what happens in Episode 7 pays off in a way that you wouldn't expect it to in Episode 9, I guess. And I'm not trying to, to shit on the movie or anything, but mm. stuff like that. And then how the Thrawn duology later comes on and adds to it. Um it's pretty impressive. Well, I think the Thrawn Septology is probably the most consistent bit of Star Wars in either continuity, and I'm including the original trilogy in that. Because, uh, like, no one gets introduced in the Thrawn trilogy, makes out with someone, and then uh, a book later is, oh, actually, you're my sibling. <laughs> is replaced uh, by a giant slave. Oh, also, okay. it turns out that Taloncard is Mara's father. So, <laughs> I... <laughs> That would be weird considering what she thinks of his dinner date in, in the first book. Is it weird considering what I just said before that about making out with your I sister? Not. I guess not. But like it, there are elements that don't work, uh, especially with Ron's characterization and how that changes with this major versus weakness, yeah. uh, choices of one and outbound mm. flight. But that's the main thing that kind of sticks out mm. as not being consistent with his seven books, but and still it's not bad enough that it ruins anything. Yeah. It's like, more gaps like, than like, it's stuff that you can yeah. re add the subtext later. And I'm usually fine with that, but clearly that wasn't intended initially. It was actually, uh, it was two kisses between Luke and Leia. Let's make sure we're clear <laughs> on that. Well, one was kind of sibling, sibling, like, except that it was meant to be like, you got to make this jump and maybe you'll get more kisses later Yeah, for uh, luck. And then for screwing with Han. What do you think is the percentage chance that Luke got an old fashioned on the Millennium Falcon <laughs> on the way back to Yavin base? I don't know what R2 was up to with him. So <laughs> okay. He, he had a lot of capabilities in, uh, R2 bring out your special arm. <laughs> and so like the defense that like, Oh, is to piss off Han. There's no situation in which you should be making a, making out with your siblings to piss off anyone. Roll Tide. No, there's not. Make it with R2. <laughs> Roll Tide. <laughs> make it with like, R2. Make it with Chewbacca. Like, cause especially cause Chewbacca is like an alpha male. He's hairy. He's large. <laughs> he's strong. He's powerful. He's handsome. He's got nice hands. There was a weird absence of Chewie in some parts of this book. Did was this just me? That I didn't really notice it to be honest. Like it's not that he was entirely gone. It's just that he'd be like conspicuously absent from small parts of scenes and it's like, oh, where's Chewie? And then someone highlights that as like, oh, he's outside guarding. And it it just came across okay. like there was like some sort of scheduling conflict with Peter Mayhew where he couldn't make it for certain pages of the book. <laughs> yeah i mean maybe he was skyping with uh lumpy or something 
<laughs> or Lumpy hadn't been. Oh no, yeah, Lumpy was one. Yeah, yeah what am I saying? Yeah, maybe he was skating with Lumpy. Maybe he was off getting his own holiday Mama. special. I feel like that should be the old fashioned of the Star Wars universe. Getting a holiday special. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you and Mara were back there for a while. You get your life day, bud. <laughs> <laughs> You just hear Carrie Fisher's Life Day rendition of the Star Wars song just start walking <laughs> out of the... I heard you got an old animated segment with Boba Fett. Like, what, what does this even mean? God. Yikes. All right. Uh, so Smuggler's Alliance. Oh, no. Got an old D. Arthur. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, Smuggler's Alliance. Yeah, pretty epic and pretty cool. All right. Now back... <laughs> Back to the sexual innuendo. <laughs> so, uh, with Ferry, so one of my main things with this, and we can probably expand out from that, is with Niles Ferrier, like, Thrawn should have known after, like, multiple fuck-ups that this oh. guy was not reliable and not cool or epic. So, and we we see him get... Uh, called out by the rest of the Smuggler's Alliance when he tries to frame Card, and he doesn't show up again. And so Thrawn clearly doesn't hear from him again after that. Do you think that was, like, Thrawn would just be like, oh, I knew he'd fuck up somehow? Or just too much other stuff going on? That's kind of what what I imagine it, because, like, I didn't think about that. And I'm way smarter than Thrawn, so why would he? (laughs) Yeah, so the Star Wars rankings go... Uh, there's Akbar, then you got Thrawn, uh, then Onimi, probably right up there, and then we've got Justin. Oh, that's a reverse order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like you're up top. I don't know if you're if you're not watching the stream, I, I was doing like hands up. So Oh okay. Yeah. And I guess okay. for an audio podcast that doesn't really come across to the no. smart up. Hey, smart up. That was a survivor reference for people who uh, watch that show. But so, yeah, the the fact that anyone was kind of falling for uh, what had gone on with the framing of card. Even before Farrier was slipping up every three seconds, like dude is just a straight up idiot. It it just didn't fly well with me. Or sit well with me. It didn't Part of fly. it is the fact that Card is kind of seen as a bit of a manipulator, or yeah. he might be because, like, one of the key things is he rose to power. He's like one of the most powerful smugglers, and no one really knows how, other than that he stepped in for Jabba. So yeah. I think maybe the assumption is that he's like he puts on this persona, but he's like kind of slimy. Um, I think that's kind of what they're getting to at the end too. It's like, oh, Card just. Like they don't say as much, but I guess my assumption is that card's probably wiping out the other smuggler groups. Um, I mean, he's killing his own people too, so. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but they were all aware of his defle before, right? Like, card included? Um, yeah, they were aware of his defle, but. Well, when they knew there was a break-in and they didn't see anyone, like cards, people, it took them a while to kind of put together that, oh, wait, this is the defle and yeah. it kind of wasn't until they were asking to go on a ship he's like kind of figured out what went on there but like Farrier is just the dumbest of the dumb 
Oh yeah, he's not a smart. So not a smart fella. If Thrawn had never, uh, so the main thing though with that is like if Thrawn had never just contacted Farrier at all, then would that have probably worked out better for him? Well, he still had been assassinated, but yeah, but as far as the relations with the smugglers go, which is a big part of yeah. what we see from Thrawn, is like just don't don't deal with him, shoot him or something. In they might have not liked the cloning stuff, but I think you're right. Yeah, because like they they would have been more likely to just sit out of it. Mm, I agree. And it was the fact that Thrawn was like directly screwing with them in this way that pushed it over the edge and like solidified them behind card. Oh yeah, you're right. That makes sense. Uh, he's a he's a fuck up. Like, and he gets a very kind of off screen death. He's like shot down basically. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, there's even the chance that he survives that because, like, let's let's be honest, crashing in a starfighter in Star Wars is like it's the least you're gonna survive that. It's yeah, the safest way to travel, ultimately. Yeah, exactly. People, you want to crash? Yeah, people die all the time in spaceships. It's the ones that crash. Those ones are never. Um. So yeah, that's. I don't know. I wonder if that was something he put in there on purpose. But the thing is, he's not that interesting of a character. No. He actually shows up a lot for someone who is so uninteresting and forgettable. Yeah, he does. Um, he stinks. Speaking of stinks, Joris Savadoff guaranteed just fucking reeks. He's always he's I I he I, he does not shower. No. You can just tell by looking to him, listening to him talk. He doesn't shower. Doesn't clip his toenails or his fingernails. Doesn't wash or anything. Walk around always with his shirt out. His feet probably smell like ass. Like he's clones, and clones are known to stink more than regular people. Whoa, whoa, so like, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Listen, shut. You know whoa, it's true. No whoa, one else will whoa. say. Whoa, I, I, I disavow. Disavow. <laughs> you know how like he's always coming on the bridge, and then Theron will come out. It's it's not because Theron's really that smart. It's just because he really smells. <laughs> well, actually, when he was getting these alamari, uh, Theron at first just thought it was a way to keep the smell away. The whole force thing was just a happy coincidence. But I I'm glad you bring up <laughs> Sabayoff's smell uh, because something happened when he died uh, that kind of stuck out to me as maybe just Zan not understanding the movies. Ooh. What? Yeah. Uh, blue fire yeah see to me that was more he was doing the force lightning and then got thrown down a reactor shaft with a lot of blue energy in it uh, I don't think that was necessarily the emperor exploding with dark side energy yeah I don't know to be honest I, I kind of thought that's what it was so I don't know if uh, it was the fact like he was maybe lightninging at the time or something, but I don't think he was. It doesn't make more sense. But because um, I mean, there's a lot of things I kind of wish they didn't do with Sabioth. I wish he hadn't been a clone, first of all. But I'll, I want to talk about that later. Kind of wish he hadn't used Force Lightning too, just because I think it would have been cooler if Force Lightning was like this power that only some people could use. Um, no. uh, what if he just used Electric Judgment instead? That would be totally fine. <laughs> In the middle of the fight, looks like, no, you're using a dark side power, Jedi Master Sabbath. Don't worry, Luke. This is judgment. <laughs> oh, epic. <laughs> Do it more. <laughs> I'm just killing bugs. Don't worry. 
Biggs. Um, His name is let's Biggs. Let's talk about clones, though. Because <laughs> Speaking of, uh, Mark Thompson calls Hobby, at least that's what I call him. Do you call him Hobby? Yeah. But he calls him Hobie. Hobie? Yeah. Derek it's the 20th Hobie? anniversary edition as well. What? Yeah. Why? I mean, I didn't read it. I didn't read this one, but that is Hob- Hobby's in the book, right? Yeah, I think he's in the uh, the scenes with Wedge at right. Chris Stack. He calls him Hobie. I was like, Hobie? I was like, what? I was like, oh, Hobby. I'm. There's two Bs, right? Am I? Am I just Berenstein bearing? Uh, what's that called? Mandela affecting this? Yeah. There's there's two Bs. I'm not. I'm not crazy, right? If there was one B, then sure, Hobie, but two Bs. Hob B. Hobby. This is. I think I'm done with the podcast. He's dead in canon, so thankfully the discussion is over. Well, fuck that guy. Yeah. Um. So with clone, was there some with was there a hobby clone you wanted to discuss? No, it's just you mentioned. Um, I don't remember what you mentioned, but um, <laughs> I don't like the idea of clones being powerful in the force. Um, Do you like Luke, for example? Uh, like I think Luke is okay because he's being controlled. I was like, oh, I hate the idea of force sensitive clones. Then talking about oh, so you don't like the idea of force sensitive clones at all? Not really. So. Um, like for me, I it's like Sabiot's controlling him, so it's okay. But then I was like, oh wait, but Sabiot's a clone too, so that's not okay. For me, I I kind of see it as the same thing as like, uh, force powers being passed on almost genetically, which I guess works with the Medichlorian explanation. Uh, from yeah. what we originally get, or I, actually, I guess it all kind of fits with the genetic com- component of it, but. Like I, I would have been okay with uh, four sensitive clones if it was just like uh, Star Wars Galaxies character generation or something where, uh, regardless of whether the clone template was force sensitive, uh, there is a chance that a clone is going to end up being force sensitive. Oh, I would have been cool with that too. Instead but... of just like it's a clone of Luke, therefore guaranteed to be Luke's level of force sensitivity in Jorah Sabiath is. I don't think Luke actually was. Because it kind of suggests pretty heavily that he's only doing so well because Sabaoth's controlling him. Well, that's his skill level more than... Like, I think he was still super Force-sensitive power. It's just, like, Luke was Luke, so... Uh, the He was never able to get this sort of, like, Flash learning that right. would have... And Flash learning is generally portrayed as not being as good. But he was mm-hmm. never going to be Luke's equal just because of who trained him and how right. he was trained. But something with that, though, is did you get the impression that what Sabaoth had done with Luke was what he was going to do with Luke? So, like, his plans with Leia, Luke, and the kids? Like, he's always talking about uh, basically a, a Jedi no, Odyssey. So. You don't think so? I don't, I don't think his... Oh, you mean to, like, clone him? No, and... the uh, just, like, how he was going to... He'd always talked about, like, control oh, being what's important. Uh, but I don't, think, I don't think so. Right. But I, I think he gets more and more unhinged, and... Like how I kind of figured is once he gains control, like once he starts realizing that he can actually control people, then I think after that, maybe because question, maybe not if he could have had the original Luke and Mara serve them, 
because I, I think he would have been happy enough with basically um, molding them. Because even at the very beginning, the way that um, Thrawn gets Salvatore to join is basically by saying, you can have these Jedi to mold. So I think maybe he would have been pleased with that. But then once he gets a taste of, you know, the full mind control stuff, um, then maybe that changed. Yeah. And I do think it was more like his plans. Like, even at the time, uh, I I don't think he started off thinking he was going to control Luke that way. But mm. I think the more Luke resisted him, the more he started thinking, okay, to keep these people around, I'm going to have to just absolutely demolish their minds. So it's not going to be a Jedi ocracy it's going to be a sabiothracy do you mean in book two or no i i mean like in book two when luke gets there i think his plan was like luke is gonna rule alongside me he's gonna keep his own free will and we're gonna rule the galaxy as jedi but by the time we get to mount tantus in book three i think he's basically decided like luke is gonna keep abandoning me he needs to submit to my will and when he does that i'm going to just uh like mind fuck him entirely like i did with cobble yeah i'm not sure either way but it's pretty clear at the end when they don't submit that he's like well i'm just gonna kill them then. yeah we'll have mara and luke time to drop some rocks on him i like how that final battle of luke and luke um kind of parallels the battle between luke and vader in return of the jedi with luke taking kind of the vader stance like there's one point in particular where luke does like a backflip up onto a catwalk and then luke um, throws the lightsaber and cuts it down. Yeah. And it's like just like that scene, um, which I, I thought was pretty cool because it's basically like, I mean, Dark Side Luke, you know, pretty similar to Vader in a way. So yeah, especially if you throw in the vision from Episode Five. So pretty cool how the battle is kind of a mirror there. Mm-hmm. But and then, every, and then literally everyone shows up. <laughs> I love Han comes to the comes to the door very first thing he does is just shoots tries to shoot Sabai off he's like so so ballsy it's like has no one tried this yet yeah. have we put a guy on just shooting him it was <laughs> yeah, a good exactly. theory like no one had tried it yet yeah, yeah. he it did was. it to vader like, too it didn't, didn't work out for him did, that time yeah. but nothing like he's got to have the highest success rate of someone shooting at a jedi and not dying so he kills palpatine eventually that's true He's got, he's like, he's one for three and he hasn't died. Well, let's ignore uh, Force Awakens for that. He didn't shoot at Ben. The one, the one Force sensitive he didn't shoot at killed him. This is. Gotta be other Darksiders that Hans just shot. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like from some stories, like I'm just trying to think. Han had shot Omni. That would have been the best. <laughs> Does he do it to Jason? Um, like Luke curb stomps Jason's face into a, <laughs> into the deck, which yeah. is great, but it's not quite the same as getting shot. Yeah, with like it doesn't use hands. He just sits down as like playing Candy Crush. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he uncles him. That's okay, what he does. He uncles him. <laughs> uh, I don't think Han ever shoots at his son because it's actually I remember in the in Legacy of the Force it says the last time. It says the the last time that the two will meet before it actually happens, and Jason shoots at them. He shoots at the Falcon with mm-hmm. either the Megador or the Anakin Solo. I don't remember. I think, I think it was on Anakin Solo by then, because symbolism. Yeah, and then because uh, that's when they were pissed off at him for using Anakin Solo 
as being yeah. just terrible. And Ben, who does Ben stab? Does Ben stab Mara? No. Because remember, who's it he stabs? Jaina? No. Maybe? Uh, I think it was one of the Mercury Strike to Force people. But I don't think it was Jaina. It might even be Tahiri. Might be. Before she actually became... Before she goes, yeah. Yeah. Because was that when Jason kind of gave up on him? Like he wasn't able to fully oh, do stuff? My camera. All right, we're, we're dozens of books away from this being the discussion. Uh, I just read this one comment from the chat. Ben Solo, don't you mean Baron Von Poonslayer? <laughs> <laughs> like that, though. Thank you, Sergio. Uh, um, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to this in the... 2030. Um, yeah. 226. Nothing to take on. Nice Nice history. What do you think of the birth of the twins, speaking of? Very clean. Very epic. I think it's a pretty good scene, considering it's a... Anytime there's, like, birth or childbirth or mothering written by like a man especially in science fiction yeah like, there was just little enough detail that he didn't have the opportunity to i'm gonna lie man i got pretty sad thinking about like what's gonna happen yeah it's like talking definitely about, like, Jason and jana and like their connection and stuff especially when you listen to the audiobook with like the music and stuff it's like oh man this is gonna end so badly mm-hmm. well there was the the line that kind of got me for that was like uh, not the end, the beginning. It's like, oof. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Me too. This this does not go well for you. What goes okay for her? It does not go well for two of your three kids. And the third is effed up for life. But Empress, she's an Empress. So good for her. And that's so stupid. I did a video on, I was doing covering Fell Empire for a video. And how like Jag is like, I don't want to be head of state, actually. And then it's like off screen. He's like, actually, I want to be emperor. <laughs> I want to control everything. Because <laughs> like, I don't know. But uh, I, I was I watched the movie. Um, oh, what's it called? Um, Manchester by the Sea, which is about like, have you seen it? Uh, I haven't seen that Star Wars now. It's it's about it's basically about grief. Like it's a it's a very very hard to watch movie. It's about a guy, without spoiling anything, a guy goes through like a a tremendous tragedy involving children. And after watching that movie, I was just like thinking about like episode eight in particular, and how like because that that whole movie basically is about the fact that this guy is paralyzed by guilt, and the whole basically thesis of the movie is just sometimes like. Things happen that are so bad to you that you just can't get over. That's basically what the movie's about. So I was like, and then I was watching episode eight and I was like, you know, maybe it was kind of good that they chose to actually deal with um, these things in a more realistic way. Because like the same thing happens to Luke, basically. Yeah. He's far more successful than uh, the character in Manchester by the Sea because he actually overcomes it. Um, at least at the end. So Someone, the guy in Manchester by the Sea doesn't face down the entire First Order. No, he doesn't. Fuck. Like, he like he he can't do anything. Like like, and that's basically like he's got to come to terms with that. 
But in Legends, like I was thinking, it's like the tragedy that these people go through is enormous. Um, mm-hmm. Especially the Jason and Jaina thing is probably the worst. Anakin's bad, but he dies in war. It, like he's very young and in love, so it's sad. But like the Jason and Jaina thing um, is, you know, it, it's family killing each other is pretty, pretty tough. So you don't, they don't understand really address it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't really address it. Like they don't, um, like I don't know. All these characters would have so much psychological burden yeah. by this point. Like, and that's the thing that I like the most about the Last Jedi. Like in when dealing with uh, Chewie's death and then Anakin's death and Jason's Sith Lordiness, the characters don't really examine themselves much. The most we get is Han's uh, alcoholism and Jaina's dark sidedness. So I do like that it got explored a bit more. Yeah, I mean, because people are like, okay, Luke decided to try to kill his nephew and he he, he didn't and that's why. You know, he went away. But if you think about it, he probably, although we don't know exactly what happens, he feels like he probably feels like he killed all of his students Mm -hmm. personally. Like he feels like it was his responsibility. So um, kind of a bit of, you know, if I kill all my students, you know. Is that everyone um, who watches your channel? um, Are you going to be responsible for like 500,000? When I was at TA in university, actually. Okay, that's that's fewer people, so it's okay. Thirty, so. Uh, all right. So, if anyone has any stories about uh, murdering their their whole class that they'd like to send in to, yeah, feel free. That's info at ottawapolice.com. And. <laughs> Scotland Yard on Twitter. <laughs> Make sure to find your local jurisdiction for the podcast. I mean, um, okay. So, so where are we chronologically? What have we missed? Um, Story wise, Card gets a new base uh, on Hajarna, which is pretty cool. Not nearly as cool as Merker, though. Let's be honest. Yeah, he was. He's kind of uh, lamenting the fact that his base is not as cool as it was. And That's so sweet. It's basically like. Hijarna is not Merkir and Aves is not Mara. So I just love to like it's the fact that he just liked Merkir. Like it was just cool. <laughs> He's like, I miss being on Merkir where it was awesome. <laughs> well, it kinda parallels the uh Peregrine base thing though, where it's like, was this really are you here because this is the best place for you to be? Or did you just kind of get complacent and stay here? Are you losing your edge? Mm-hmm. But. Uh, Vornskers. Uh, and my other main problem with this trilogy, there's two thrones. Er, thrones. <laughs> that was Thrawn and clones together. But uh, <laughs> I'm fine with the idea of a throne. Palpatine's got a throne. There's a throne in this. Totally cool. Clones, bit overused maybe, and uh, I don't like its salamary force bubbles. Um, we get a bit of that on Merker, yeah. or sorry, on um, with Wayland, uh, Mountantis being surrounded by it, or uh, but also we learn about the the Vornsker as well, right? And Card basically figures out that they use the hunt, they use the force to hunt, just basically 
figures it out, which is kind of cool. Like I like how that works, but still know how, how I feel about things being able to push away the force as a general idea. Yeah. Uh, that was one of my bigger things to get used to, at least with, uh, with the use on bong being outside the force. And yeah. I, I, I've kind of, it's kind of grown on me a bit. Just the idea. Sorry. Those are a little different to me though, because for what, like the use on Vong and their force thing, that's almost like a cosmic thing. That's like the yeah. force, like stripped them of e- it, like exercising will. And to me, yeah, the Salamiri thing is like the exact opposite True. because it's like making the force a scientific thing. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I generally like when the force is kind of just like a mystical energy. Yeah, no, I agree with you. The I I'm okay with the with the hunting the the bubble. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, me too. That's probably and it's pretty cool when the the Vong make their Voxen as well. Yeah, that's that's the best part of anything. You get what's her name uh, lose her hand and her uh, her um I'm forgetting her name Lomi. Yeah. Twi'lek. Um, oh, uh, Alema. Yeah. I always get Alemarar and Alora mixed up from Jedi Knight. Oh, which yeah. Which is possibly racist of me, but there's just such similar spellings. That scene where Alema and her sister, well, Alema and her sister are attacked, and Alema's sister is killed. I think they're sisters. Yeah, I think they were adopted yeah, I sisters. Being... I don't think they, yeah. I think that's what their relationship is. Because it's was. like, uh, Voxen don't stop. They're vicious. Their blood, uh, it's like acidic. Yeah, it's just really terrible. Oh, yeah. Boring you? Yeah, actually. Uh, nothing's more boring than Jedi getting ripped apart by evil genetic mutant <laughs> wolves. It's your favorite book, too, isn't it? Star by Star? I don't know if it's my like. It's not my favorite book. It's just that was. Well, it's not ob- not not from an objective point anyway. No, it, it's like, it's the. I'm pretty sure it's the first book I read. Not the first book okay. I read. It's got a special place in your heart. Yeah, I think it's the first Star Wars book I read. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but it was definitely the first time when I was like getting into the continuity. But um, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, this anything rash, but... that we haven't discussed yet. So we could talk. So there, there's two more notes that I have here that I, I kind of want to address. Um, well, I guess only one really, because uh, there was some stuff about fleet size and everything. But I think we can talk about that a bit more when we get into Dark Horse Rising or not Dark fucking Dark Empire. Because uh, okay. it'll probably be something interesting to talk about, like the minimalist and maximalist stuff comparing uh, what we've looked at so far with Rogue Squadron and the Thrawn trilogy and then comics in general. But uh, I think that these two stories are truly compatible. Thrawn and well, actually not just Thrawn. Do you think that Dark Empire is compatible with the rest of the EU? Quick <sighs> teaser for what's coming. I, th- I think it's compatible, but it's definitely emblematic of a time when at the very least the licensees 
were more concerned about if they were concerned about consistency it was within their own uh material within the license so like bantam and dark horse were not as concerned with what each other were doing uh and marvel was like so many drugs were going on there that it's impossible to say what was going on uh but like overall the stories can work together and do generally you can work like there's nothing super horrible about retconning them together and i think source books have done a good job since but they were i don't think they were really written by the people actually making them in a way that suggests that those people directly involved wanted them to work together like clearly from an organizational standpoint uh when they were getting timothy's on to write the thrawn trilogy they wanted it to work together because they'd asked him to write it after uh to take place after dark empire but because he didn't want to take into account anything that dark empire was doing that's why the thrawn trilogy takes place beforehand so clearly but especially on bantam's end there was an idea that like what they were doing was better uh and there is a definite disconnect there that i think gets downplayed uh sometimes but i don't think it like kills the continuity or anything i think you just have to kind of accept that at that phase there wasn't even the real intention that they would be the same thing there's a book by tom veitch i think i should one of us should try to read that (laughs) i think it's out now on like the writing of dark empire yeah, I, I'm going to do a video soon about uh, the growth of Star Wars transmedia. Uh, like the idea of the expanded universe and where that really comes from and how it kind of developed from mm-hmm. like the early days when it was like toys led to these new stories being told and they were the kind of driver for for a desire for new stories uh, up until... It's like how I base a video around a thumbnail that will look cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's really just about doing stuff that has a thumbnail. But from toys to the holocron and kind of how canon changed between all that. But... Because mm-hmm. like I'm reading a, a collection of like academic essays on Star Wars transmedia right now, which is more than I thought I'd be... Like, I just wanted to make videos about like Chewie's second cousin and why he's important in three scenes of something. But now I have to read stuff. It's terrible. Yeah, reading is not epic. No. Um, not at all. So but, thank uh, you for joining us on our book talk podcast. <laughs> uh, I, we just got to take like a week where we do like Tales from the Moss Eisley Cantina or something. Yeah. I, I mean, we're, we're definitely going to do that, right? Yeah. I was even thinking it would be cool if for one week we just did a video on like the, um, the like Imperial Source book from West End Games. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> I mean, there, there's so few books to cover, so really, we yeah, need to we need to stress for that kind of stuff. I don't think. I guess it's not possible that we would. Well, I guess if we did this for maybe like ninety years, we'd start to catch up with current media. Well, let's see. There's uh. There's like 140-something Legends books, 150, depending on how you want to count certain things. And then there's obviously like the the young adult novels, which right. so we'd have like 40 of those. So there's a lot to cover. Uh, and if we do every other week, let's say let's say on average we get through 25 a year, which is probably, well, that, that assumes we're taking a couple of weeks off. So that, that works. 
Uh, so there's six years worth of. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not gonna run out of stuff. Um, let's get back on topic, I guess. <laughs> um, all right. The wonder, let's talk about the crystal grab trap. Uh, why should we talk about it when the book doesn't care about it? <laughs> yeah, I guess the crystal crystal Grabfield trap CGTRA is basically something that can spot cloaked ships. I guess um, I don't think we get more detail than that, do we? Yeah, it's just something that uh, shows up when you have cloak. It's it's got to have other uh, other purposes because cloaking was so much a pipe dream that. But I guess the crystal graph field array is trap, whatever, is rare enough that it would kind of make sense, even if it was just a cloaking thing. Um, but yes, yeah, I don't like the, like, it doesn't make any sense. The smugglers alliance, the smuggler alliance is, their goal is to steal one, assuming that the New Republic will pay for it. Um, Talon card really undermines that by telling the New Republic that there's no asteroids left. Um, and they're also assuming that the New Republic will lose the major battle that they're about to wage at Tangreen. Like, they're like, the New Republic's trying to capture one themselves, and while they're doing that, we're going to steal one. It's like, what if they're successful? <laughs> yeah, and he even knows by, like, going there and telling them that, he's undermining the reason that everyone's doing all these things. So why not just tell them, don't stop, and then everyone can just stop what they're doing? Especially if he's mm-hmm. that convinced that Thrawn is going to murderize everyone. Yeah, exactly. It, and that it that is probably the weakest part of the overall plot to me. Just that it, it's. Especially when like you end up with the solution to Wayland being just like, oh yeah, I've been there from Mera. Uh, okay. Um, one thing I don't like too on that note is the whole idea of asteroids. I like I get the idea that Justin, asteroids. Justin, would... asteroids are real, yeah. uh, so you might want to think about what you're about to say. Very. Carefully. Oh wait, really? Yeah, they're they're a thing that are, like rocks in space. Mind asteroids? I'm cool with asteroids. I've got asteroid right. friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, like the chance of an asteroid going through a small opening in the course on planetary shield has got to be like less than a tenth of a percent, right? Like space is really, really big and those asteroids are really, really small. Yeah, but even with uh what we have uh what we've done with space exploration, space junk for Earth is a big problem right now. So I can definitely see the idea that there is uh an unknown number, like a roughly known but unknown number of asteroids, sizable objects that we can't see that you could easily fly into or let into this. Like, especially on a planet as densely populated as Coruscant, where collision with one small area is actually a lot of carnage that could happen. Uh, so I, I think yeah. that that makes sense to me. I, I'm perfectly good with what like, happened there. Opening, like, I don't know. I just feel like you could open a portion of the shield at, like, the North Pole, for example, for, like, 10 seconds, like, card wants yeah um, they'd definitely be able to calculate what the orbit would likely be for certain stuff uh based on the information they had from the shunts so there'd be areas in the planet they can be relatively certain are not going to be what they should have done used an interdictor so they um, could pull in the the asteroids 
Yeah, maybe. maybe. Interdictor but tech is kind of like it's simulating a gravity field, right? It's not actually making one. Oh, uh, in Fate of the Jedi, Dala puts that moon around herself. Right. It's if you're going here for the for the science fiction part, it's, it's fantasy. So whatever it yeah. needs to do for the scene is what it does. I always felt like Interdictor should have actually generated some sort of like gravity signature. That's why they get those gigantic, you know, modules or whatever. But mm. whatever. Yeah, it, it's just hard to say because like it's simulating a planetary mass, right? So you'd think it'd fuck up the orbits of the planets that it's around if it was making an actual true gravity signature. Like, that is true. Like, I, I'm kind of happy. I guess just, that's probably why you wouldn't want to use your course on. Yeah, I, I'm happier with it just being like not super heavily explained and let it just do what it needs to do for other plots. But when you're like actively using the actual gravity, um, that that gets a bit too concrete for me. Problem for me is just like, I know this is stupid, but if if the interdictor is just like a, a simulated gravity signature, then like. It feels like there should be some sort of like software solution around it. You know what I mean? Yeah. We get things like the the inertial momentum sustainer, but that's kind of like the opposite. That's like some sort of drive thing, I think. Like, it's inconsistent though. You're right. Well, I kept thinking the uh, the crystal graph field drive. I always replace that with metal crystal phase shifter in my mind when reading the book, which is an entirely different thing. soonish does that come up? i thought like i know it comes up by uh fate of the jedi or legacy of the force because of dallas fleet but it comes up when the maw installation is first discovered oh it's in uh yeah like not i believe so i i knew it was stuff that came from the maw but i thought it was stuff that i didn't i didn't think it was actually covered in the jedi academy so I'm pretty sure it's. I, it's been a while since I've read it, so you're. I'm perfectly willing to. I could be wrong, actually, but I, I think it's. I think it's in one of the Jedi Academy books, anyway. I'm just saying this conversation is exposing us as frauds, no matter who's wrong, because we both That's sound true. so unsure about what we're saying. Uh, so I'm just going to say it was definitely introduced yeah. in uh, Old Republic, uh, Revan, and yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, who's gonna question us? Hey, who's honestly gonna? Yeah, whatever. We're right. End of discussion. One of us. Between me and Corey, we know everything in Star Wars Legends. Everything. If I don't know it, Corey knows it. And uh, between the two of us, we'll just back each other up if one of us doesn't know it. So, the between me and my dad, we know every fact in the in the universe. Ask me something. Uh, okay. Um, how are babies made? Dad knows that one, not me. Okay. <laughs> Checks out. Uh, so when there was one you up at my house one day and I had to go with it. Hmm. All right. Uh, that's a Mori episode, but not a Tapgaff <laughs> episode. So what? Now he's 30. What? I, I, I'm trying so hard to get us back on track right now, Justin. Good. It. no it come on that was no joke there. i'm not that funny okay uh well it's just you cut out a bit so i literally couldn't hear what you said um 
But yeah, so the only other note that I wanted to bring up that I had was uh, a a little bit about Pelion and what parts of the Empire he's kind of uh, symbolizing here, or at least in favor of as a character. (laughs) What was it? You're really screwy right now. Sorry. Racist and at times hateful Pelion in this book. Yeah, that's what I was like, because generally he's kind of portrayed as like the, the law and order version of the Empire and like the opening and the the perestroika and glasnost of the empire with uh less racism but dude is just super racist in this book at times uh he says a lot of things that aren't very cash money um can you hear me my mic just did something no yeah i can hear you i just i'm not interested in anything to say yeah okay cool but yeah he's like he talks about like wanting to slaughter the Nogri, how they're like he talks about aliens just being like basically shit. Um, definitely not something we see with Pelion's character later on. He also gets a bit of a, a Thrawn treatment because yeah. Well, even in the previous books, other than being like kind of skeeved out by Rook, he's generally like he doesn't talk about too many aliens, uh, but he's never really displayed any like overt application of his hatred for rook towards everyone else uh it's just usually kept entirely rook centric but in uh in this there were there were two places that i wrote down i might have the page number wrong so i'm not going to bother looking at my book anymore he just calls them like he basically just calls them dirty like yeah slimy alien um and yeah, like later Pelion, Pelion's basically he's all in for the the order, powerful centralized government, all that stuff that like the empire partially represented. And usually he wasn't so in with the sexism and the xenophobia and the cruelty, but we we do see a bit of the xenophobia here. Yeah. Um like the usual presentation of Pelion as you get towards the Yuzon Vong war, Dark Nest and all that uh until he dies is like uh He's, I think there's some comments from Leia of like his idea of the Empire is an idea that never really existed. It was like nostalgia for a time that didn't happen, uh, kind of as a stand in for like general nostalgia for the good old days when there weren't any good old days. Uh, really? And like not necessarily holding him accountable or as part of those attitudes, but just having a different yeah having a a different idea of what was going on at the time because he wasn't exposed to it uh or basically he was kind of downplaying it yeah yeah but um yeah just goes off the rails in this book yeah yeah i mean I, i i still love the dynamic though um i just love how like Pelion's continually proved wrong by Thrawn and he's basically just everyone's along the ride and Thrawn's taking him there there's like a line where um, Thrawn's basically like history waits for no man basically what he says and Pelion's like yeah this is pretty cool well (laughs) Thrawn actually lets Pelion in on Thrawn actually lets Pelion in on his plans a little bit more in this book than he does in the previous ones uh, where there is still a good amount of like shut up and wait but uh, even with the battle towards the end it's like I'm listening to what you have to say you're wrong and generally for audience reasons I'm not telling you what it is but 
earlier on in the book, he's like, there's a lot more of a dialogue between them instead of just Thrawn saying, you'll learn in time. He says that you'll be next for, uh, for Delta Source. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you, basically, uh, once we're done the campaign. When you grow up. Um, yeah. Once you're 80. <laughs> <laughs> you're only a spry 76 right now. Let's... Um, yeah, it's, what do you think of, uh, Thrawn's idea of, I was kind of surprised. I didn't remember this uh, bit about him wanting to make a force sensitive clone army. What do you think of that? Yeah, that's risky. That's, a uh... yeah. Like you literally can't control one clone right now. And, uh, Especially with the whole, like, I guess he thinks because he's figured out the clone madness issue with Yuzamari that he thinks he can just do that and it'll work for everyone yeah. and then they'll listen to him. But actually, I think that kind of ties into, does he think they're going to listen to him? Does he think he's going to be in charge of the Empire? I don't know. Um, for one, I don't think he's worried about clone madness either because he wants to raise them slowly, doesn't he? Yeah. He was going to let them go but, from like no, I three think this on was a or plan for after To kind of ensure rule even after his death yeah. more than anything. But it sounded like he was going to basically reinstate the Jedi Order. But yeah. so it, it's very hard to tell what his actual political plans were. Uh, he clearly wasn't concerned about like darker light side. It, the force oh, was no, a tool yeah. to him. But it it did seem more like he was just concerned about getting the galaxy back to some sort of state of organization. And I know you hate the retcon, but that does fit fine with uh, what we later got for Thrawn is actually just preparing the galaxy to get in. I don't hate the Thrawn retcon. Oh, no, the Palpatine um, retcon you hate. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't like the Palpatine retcon, but the Thrawn retcon is. Yeah, that makes I sense. quite like that. Yeah, and I think it ties in well um, with that, even if it wasn't necessarily what he was going for at the time. Yeah, um, the throne thing is interesting because he's not Palpatine at this point, and he's not even executing Palpatine's will. And his empire, if he, had he been successful, would have looked far different than the empire of old. Even though it does, which is interesting because it is largely seen as the sort of legitimate successor at this point. Yeah. And this is at a time when Artis Kane was around too. Like if I mean clearly not in the books, but like from a in universe perspective. Yeah, and the Snook of Warfare even mentions that Artis Kane almost gave him the Reaper. Yeah. Crazy. I think everyone just kind of respected how um, good he was at his job, but he clear like his well, political he, ambitions were not the same by uh, any stretch of I, I've used that. Oh, and yeah, it's it, it, talks about how he like unified a bunch of different imperial factions but he didn't i mean this is kind of an explanatory retcon but he didn't use their ships because he was like okay just defend yourselves from the new republic we do get actually some hints especially in air to the empire that there is a larger sort of imperial base somewhere or not not like not a physical base but there's a larger imperial faction mm -hmm. beyond his campaign he talks about the ruling council i believe yeah um and like he talks about like ubiquitous bases and stuff, even though um, the ubiquitous a weird 
one too because nothing really uses that arm of the empire besides Timothy Zahn. But anyway, um, there clearly is a larger empire behind Thrawn. I think it's another um, West End Games thing, actually. It is yeah. I, I read the Imperial source book the other day. Okay. I was like, huh? Nobody ever used this. Uses this. It's alluded to a bit more in X Wing, but right. I don't think but I mean, it comes up again yeah, yeah. in a major way in the duology because they yeah. have that raid on the Yaga Minor yeah. one. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say though? Uh, so yeah, there's there's more to the Empire besides Thrawn, and the Empire is supporting Thrawn. But if he creates, if he wins, the Empire under his rule. Which I guess maybe it won't be. Maybe he's just the highest military commander. Um, yeah. Well, we get the like the conversation runs... with uh, with Sabayoth, and he's like, "When I turn the empire over to you," and like clearly we know he's just that. Okay, dear. Uh, but it does kind of bring up the idea of like, is this actually a thing where Thrawn was seeing himself is at he the head? Yeah. And I guess maybe the way he talks. I think he sees himself as influential, but I don't know that he wanted political control in that way. And like, clearly he was no, in the empire of the hand, but there was also like, that was more of a, a confederation of like for like military. It was a military junta almost, but where like individuals were still governing themselves. That's what I was thinking. I think if the Vong, and this is obviously again, using later material influence stuff that wasn't even thought about, but if, if we, look at like this this scenario the vong aren't that far away at this point so i don't know if if thron can afford to give like a new empire over to some perhaps probably let's be honest incompetent and power hungry yeah. ruler like there's no way he so thinks the ruling council like, has been doing a good job yeah that's true maybe it just becomes a big empire of the hand i'd be okay with that i mean that's what the fell empire is was Jag just doing what Thrawn wanted the whole time? Um, no, <laughs> maybe that—that's a new video title for me. That's—he uh, didn't do very well because he ended up giving. I don't think there's a well. I was gonna say I don't think there's a situation where Th Thrawn would partner with the Sith, but I mean he's using a dark Jedi for this entire trilogy, so. But it was more he was using Jedi, and. Yeah. He was using dude who had screwdriver when he needed screwdriver. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting discussion point. Um, and this is all made more complicated by the fact that um, in the lore, uh, Palpatine is alive at this point, and he's watching this all happen from the deep core. Um, Eating his popcorn. There's like a, yeah. There's like a bit in the Dark Empire source book about like what Palpatine thought of Thrawn. Well, this is happening. He's like, yeah, he's basically not very cool. <laughs> I like Thrawn and he was like one of my best servants, but this is not epic because he's like basically saying that like it's not in service of me. So what a, what a relationship. Palpatine had. Yeah, I know. It's kind of weird. That Palpatine had something to do with Thrawn's fall, which I don't know takes a bit away from the trilogy, in my opinion. Yeah, there. The only thing that really had to do with Thrawn's fall was the Nogri. 
So unless Palpatine had something to do with like exposing the Empire's treachery to the Nogri. Maybe the idea is that he kind of maybe there were more Imperial factions and he just kind of kept them from fully supporting Thrawn, I guess. Like I don't know. Yeah, well about... they had like all the Imperial forces that were going to the core for that, but Yeah. Let's talk about that's true. Let's talk about Thrawn makes mistakes in this book. Quite a few of them. Um, he's pretty idiotic. He sets up the whole fall of Mount Tantus. Like he knows that like this, this is like a very strange mistake for him to make unless there's some motive that I'm not seeing. He knows that, um, that Sabaoth can control people now. Um, he knows that like, he can at least influence their minds. Then he sends Sabaoth with a group of basically army soldiers off to Mount Tantus, like for a journey where it's just going to be Sabaoth and them. Like how is he not expecting them to fall to his influence? Yeah. The whole Sabaoth part of his plan was super. He just killed him. He should have just murdered him. Like, especially when he was so critical of Pelion and the Imperial fleet with Endor, unless it's just like, okay, you fought like cadets and, uh, you're all still incompetent. So I'm going to get another four Caesar to tell you exactly what to do at all times. Because he's basically, he wishes he was force sensitive is basically what I get from all of it. Yeah. So then he could tell okay. his like micromanaging strategies to people and he was never willing to give up on that plan, no matter how wrong it was going. Yeah. It's just like, by the time we get to like the battle of Bill Bringy, like he's basically ran his course of usefulness. Thrawn is more than happy to lock him up in the top of Mount Tantus, put him in front of a firing squad. Like, yeah. Like, the, or like, imagine if he had killed Sabaoth after he had taken control yeah. of the members of the bridge, like that would have been a big morale thing. Yeah. No that, that like the second that happened, that should have been like, not just a red flag. That's a whole parade in red square that, yeah, exactly. It should not have gone on after that. And like Pelion even kind of saw like Pelion basically just should be listened to about who you should and shouldn't trust at all times by Thrawn. He's got the rest down, but like, no, don't don't trust Rook. Don't trust Sabaoth. That's all you need to know. And did a pretty good job to because he anticipated a rebel attack on Mount Tantus when Thrawn didn't. Yeah. Well, Thrawn uh, should have known, would, would Thrawn have known that Mara or would Thrawn, should Thrawn have suspected that Mara would have been able to give this information over? Yes. Because he specifically tried, he's, he's trying to discredit her, but like discredit her, but they fail. Yeah. So that was his entire contingency I, plan for that. Yeah, exactly. So I think he should have at least assumed um, especially where he's using things that like he's using information that only, um, you know, high ranking officials or high ranking people close to the emperor knew like the, the secret alleys on, or the secret, uh, doors and stuff and passages in the Imperial palace. So he's uh, like taking advantage of the new Republic because he has all this stuff that Mara knows as well. So mm-hmm. killing her or neutralizing her should have been a much higher priority. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing with like Delta Source, where it's like at at least understand that they have that information and use it against them. 
Or like the New Republic maybe should have done that. I was thinking about that. Like they could have fed Thrawn a ton of false information. Problem is the tree probably heard Leia discover it. <laughs> yeah. But I how much can you really blame them for that? They had a tree spying on them for years or months. So like if the Republic had discovered it before, like if Leia had been more secretive, they could have like maybe sold the faint at um Tangren. At Tangreen a bit more. Yeah. Or I think Thrawn probably would have picked up from that with his suspicions about Unless he was just so blindly trusting in Deldasaurus. Because there had to have been other reasons that he wasn't believing it was Tangren that we just aren't privy yeah. to. Yeah. Um, Unless it was just too too not obviously it, obvious that it was going to be Tangren. I think part of it's just the calculus, too. Um, the fact that a loss of Tangren is not a big deal. Yeah. In the end, he explains this to to uh, Pelion. The New Republic's going to probably figure out what's going on at Coruscant eventually anyway. However, relying on um, an attack at Bilbringi, you know, the risk is relatively low, but he could have killed a lot of the New Republic fleet. Including Akbar. Well, be they weren't going to kill Akbar for a messenger, but... Yeah, that's my question for you. Is it worth not killing Akbar in order to discredit him, do you think? No. Because they, the, he's already played that card. It didn't work, and like he's there's nothing. If it had happened earlier when there's still Borsk trying to uh, play for his job, then sure. But as it is, it's like people already know you're trying to do this to screw over Akbar. They're just gonna think like, okay, Thrawn did this on purpose to send a message. No one's going to be like, oh, well, actually, Akbar is in on this plan. And that's why Thrawn didn't shoot him. Especially after he yeah. literally did that with Mara. Yeah, assuming the same yeah. stuff happened. Like, he um, should have known that it wasn't going to work. But so, like the best case scenario is, OK, you take Akbar out of the fight and you cause chaos in the New Republic. But you're guaranteed to do that if you have this massive victory anyway. Yeah, if Akbar is dead, oh, no. he's dead. He's no longer a threat in any yeah. way. Maybe he's. I'll a say though, he wouldn't have won if even if even if he wins this battle. Um, I don't think that the campaign is like like I think maybe he's got an advantage now, but Thrawn or Ak like it was it was two sector fleets Thrawn. Um, yeah, it's not it's not over at this point. Well, Thrawn, I don't think Thrawn had ever really suspected that or intended that this would be the end of major oh, operations no, no, I don't but just what it feels like because it is the ultimate battle but yeah well that's it kind of just is the whole but, thing where like this is not the battle of bilbringi is not really important on its own merits it's just what happens at it with rook and thrawn um when it comes to uh to rook and the killing of thrawn what do you think was so artfully done is it because like is the campaign up to that point and he's like lamenting not getting to see it through my um, take on it was always that he was talking about the deception of the nogri but too but when i thought about it it really it wasn't. wasn't but yeah i'm not sure what else he could be talking about i think that he's regretting because he says but right 
So to me, but means that there's like, but to something. He's saying, I'm dying. My campaign is going to fail. But it was so, like, it was so amazing up to this point. Like, how is it going to end this way? You know what I mean? Is it basically like his version of I did it my way? He just doesn't have time to sing it? Kind of, but not really. Uh, do you ever watch uh, Dragon Ball Z Bridge? I've seen it, yeah. When Cell, <laughs> when Cell dies? That's what I'm picturing right now. Sort of, but I think it's more like, like it's unfair. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that that's probably right. But it, it's it, funny because it's one of the most iconic quotes from Legends. And but like, no one knows what it means. Yeah, in a way. I mean, maybe we should just try to to ask Timothy Zahn if 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 there was one question we could ask him, I think that would be. I would yeah. Or would he just be insulted that we didn't understand? I don't think so. I, th- I don't think so. I'm, I'm sure he's dealt with a far more rabid fan than us. What was the stormtrooper thinking when Luke went up in that building? Um, But I gotta say, Pelion, man, I feel bad for the guy. He goes through like three pivotal battles where like at least, well, more than three. He, he's got Endor and then basically the same thing happens at Bill Beringi and then he's got the stuff with Dala then he's got the Arinda campaign. It's just like, yeah, he's so many for the empire to reestablish itself and he's always there when they fail well it was uh it's it's kind of a fun parallel or not fun for him but a fun parallel with uh the end of bill bringy and the battle of endor where like pelling is the one that orders the retreat at endor and then at bill bringy yeah (laughs) and especially with ron's quote like you fought like cadets uh after fighting on endor and uh or fighting on after endor after the death of the emperor and uh, now it's like, uh, Captain, they're they're asking orders. Like, fuck if I know. Let's get out of here. I have no idea yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. Is, I mean, it, like just like at Endor, if the Empire got their shit together at Endor, the New Republic, like they could have, you know, really inflict. Like there wasn't really another occasion where they're going to get at the fleet like that in a vulnerable position. Uh, they still had a ton of star destroyers left. I mean, they they weren't able to fight because of, you know, various factors, but, you know, objectively based on ship counts in best case scenario, the empire probably could have, you know, really uh, salvaged the destruction of the death star. Yeah. And now you can just salvage from the destruction of the death star. <laughs> yeah. On Kefir. Which is on Kefir. Yeah. <laughs> Hyperspace anomaly or something. <laughs> Uh, I did a video on it and I still don't know. <laughs> I think that sums up Star Wars YouTube in, a, in one <laughs> sentence. Yeah, basically. Um, what do you think of the final battle, though? Uh, how Mara ends up killing... Luke ends up just getting hurt. And Mara kills both Luke and Sabayoth. Overall, I'm happy with how that ended up going. Like in the whole thing, like it, it was still showing Luke as being probably the more talented one, but Mara, it was more important for Mara to be the one to do that. I think for character purposes, uh, I Luke still had a lot to learn too because it shows how how more pow- much more powerful Sabayoth yeah. is. It and Sabayoth is a Jedi Master, but there's nothing that shows that he's the best Jedi Master or anything. No. 
he was and he's not even really a Jedi master. He's a dude with some of the learning of Sabayot. Like we're not sure exactly what the cloning process was. He thinks he's him. So uh that's fine. But like yeah, Luke Luke has a long way to go, but it, there wouldn't have been the same like maybe Luke killing uh, Sabaoth would have been fine. He's like, okay, this is the guy that's misrepresenting the Jedi Order you want to rebuild. But it, yeah. it has to be with the, the symbolism of like the throne room with Luke fighting Luke as Vader and Luke and then Sabaoth being the Emperor. Like she is finally making that choice that this is not who she is and she's killing Vader and the Emperor. Yeah. Um, it is kind of like I, I and I do get the the sort of purpose of that, but it is kind of funny to think that Palpatine's deep conditioning can be broken just by like a technicality. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you think it was deep conditioning? Did you think it was a force command with certain like scripted triggers, uh, or did yeah. you think it was just uh, a kind of mental hang up for Mara about the life she lost? I think it was more than like I think it was more than a mental hang up. And I do think it even might be force related because it, she talks about how once, I mean, there's two ways you can, you can say this. We know that as she becomes more powerful with the force, these visions increase. I mean, that could be because she starts to get a taste of her old life again. It could be because Palpatine's got some sort of, you know, residual force powers. It's hard to say. Um, but I always did see it as more than just a mental hangout. Mm-hmm. Well, like, Leia and Luke kind of heavily hint towards it being like an actual force related thing, but uh, I think there's kind of an element of all of it. Or yeah. Palpatine's like literally just on best, like, yo, kill Luke. Oh, come on. <laughs> Do, it. Be- <laughs> Do it. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it It is kind of interesting, though, how Sabayoff, you know, the, the longer this goes on, the more self centered and the more cocky he becomes he talks about how palpatine never gained the ability to control minds like he does like he did yet this book is basically this trilogy is basically about somebody mara having her mind controlled by palpatine even after he's dead yeah so it's kind of uh like sabayoth thinks he's the hottest shit that's ever been in the galaxy yet palpatine is like still controlling shit from beyond the grave yeah um it just shows sabayoth's arrogance yeah, the, the whole series is really just a big F you to, to Sabaoth. Yeah, he sucks and he stinks. Yeah. He stinks like shit. Okay, that was implied. So. I didn't think we it's needed to go all the way there, but. Uh... I, you know, I just imagine what he'd be like just coming out in his goddamn bathrobe, chest hair everywhere. It seems like you're ass. getting really hung up on the chest hair here. It's, it's the cover of the books, man. Yeah, but. It just it just keeps coming up, much like the chest hair. I haven't dreamt about it or anything. Not every night for the past six years. <laughs> okay, so we're finally getting to the root of the issues. Is there a certain amount of jealousy that's happening here? <laughs> you must wash Jorah Sabayoff. No! <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a much worse command. <laughs> uh, we were talking about this off stream. I do like how the... Uh, the three books have titles that can, you know, mul- reread multiple ways. Yeah. 
Dark Force Rising can be the the fleet or the clones. I think we were just talking about this on a different stream, but yeah, I think we were. Um, Heir of the Empire could be Thrawn. It could be Mara. Um, could be and then Last Command. Uh, yeah, multiple multiple different interpretations there. Dark Force um, Rising is only the Katana fleet. Nothing else. <laughs> uh, the Thrawn trilogy could refer to either this or the later books. But yeah, you're not wrong. It's neat. It's nifty. All right, we got a lot of emails. So if anyone has any questions, I'm I'm making the unilateral decision here. I, it seemed okay. like it would. Is that is this a unilateral decision you're okay with? Is there anything else you want to bring up before we get to emails and viewer questions? Um, I have. No, I think I think that's good. Uh, no, I think we're good. Are you sure? You sounded like you had something else. Oh yeah, no, no. Okay. One, one, one last thing I wanted to mention. I've been thinking about this all series. Pelion's MTT. What? If... No, right under that. What do you think about the ethics of the good guys using the Nogri as they do? Because, the, okay, they, they don't trick the Nogri, but they've basically enslaved the No. They, I mean, the Nogri are serving them. They think that they've got this duty owed to them. Yeah. When like, I don't know, like what the like no it's definitely shitty like they basically play up the well i'm the heir to Vader. like you don't want to be the heir to vader you've disavowed vader heavily uh and like the fact that they think they're doing it for their own good is not great either it's like no just leave them because like this could easily result in the nogri all being killed like just straight up dead uh and the way they keep trying to justify it is like oh well they've got a similar ethical code to the to the wookies uh, so like Chewbacca's like that. It's like no, but you didn't lie to Chewie, or did they? <laughs> Han's like, okay, you start beating up this guy. I'm gonna tase you. It'll be fine. I'll give you fifty credits. Yeah. Well, <laughs> to a certain extent, the like Luke and Leia both make like half-hearted attempts to uh, tell them no, but it at this like by the end they had actually saved the Nogri. So like in the future, it was more of a Chewbacca like that situation when they started getting like. 30 nogri killed per book but but leia's also like the luke he's like she's like luke go put in some facetime with them like go like at least show up and say hi yeah so he has that visit visit to Honiger. what i think what luke does there is the most like is the thing that i have the biggest problem with mm-hmm. uh or not probably like, i don't think he had much of a choice uh so ultimately i don't think it was like a horrible uh, thing he did but I do think it was the worst part. Like when Leia goes there, it's like, okay, you guys are trying to kill me. So please, can we find a way to not do that? Uh, So I think the fact that she lies to them at that point is ultimately not horrible. Uh, But then she starts like, I think there is an extent to which they're taking advantage of the Nogri that is inappropriate, but it's worth it for the uh, consort to the lady Vader. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like Luke's just like fucking with Han. He's like, no, he's like, call him this. Call him Leia's FB. He'll get what it means. <laughs> On the Prince of Corellia. <laughs> that was dumb. I'm was glad. Dumb. I'm glad that turned out to not be true. Yes, me too. That would have been a bridge too far. Even well, for the end. Move on to questions. What do you think of the ending of the book? Just to to, to finish the the trilogy and everything. Okay. Do you want to do our, our rankings then, right now? While we talk about that, 
You go first. All right. So <laughs> I, I have a, a visual guide for this. We're we're fourteen books in, so we're not gonna we're not gonna read off all of them. Uh, right now, I have Plagueis at first and Kratos Trap at last, which you also have. Uh, fairly similar for the rest of it. Some differences, but we both have the same one, two, and three right now. And I think we probably still will after this uh, with Plagueis, Heir to the Empire, and Dark Force Rising. Uh, other than, like, I I do have issues with the whole uh, so many of the plots not ending up actually mattering and the just kind of deus ex way some of it ends up coming to a conclusion but not huge problems just those are my complaints if i have them uh i do think the series got much better as it went along uh so as much as i enjoyed like air of the empire and dark force rising i i did like this one the best um and overall like to me the the best part of the the thrawn trilogy books are more the characters than uh than the overall plot so the fact that the plot ends up suffering from some of those things uh, doesn't bother me as much because I feel like the character arcs themselves were satisfying enough to make up for it. Uh, so for me, I'm putting the last command in the first place. It is unseating hey. Plagueis. Right. Yeah, no, I, 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 you're right. We're going to basically do the same thing here because uh, Plagueis, okay, if to read both these books without context i think plagueis is better just because of the right. scope of what that one book accomplishes is really incredible like the story that it tells like the intricacies of plagueis is really impressive how it works with other eu books yeah. and stuff but the way that like this book manages to like knock out the the trilogy and like just finish it off in such a really great way like you can't ignore that i do have issues i don't like the clones and i think especially out of the cheesing like the 90s were a cheesy time. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that don't like Luke and probably don't like Jeru Sabayoff. It didn't bother me as much as I thought it was going to, to be honest. Especially if Luke's a puppet um, yeah. of Sabayoff. Um, which I didn't really remember that being me the way neither. it was. This book, too, is like the characters that are introduced, like yeah. unreal. You've got Winter, you've got Mara. Of course, like Mara is probably the most prominent of the non OT characters in the EU. You've got Talon card, like wedge is used. Well, Lando's used. Well, every character is basically used. Well, we get lots of humor with the droids and C3PO to me. This feels most like a star Wars movie. Although I actually don't think it would have been a good movie no. series. It, it nails the, uh, the feeling of what it's like to watch a movie. Um, and yeah, so for me, gotta go. Number one, Plagueis. I still love you, but you're number two. Like I think the big difference to me does come down to the characters. Like uh, Plagueis is really, really good as like this giant source of lore and how it works that all together. Uh, but the characters do end up feeling a bit more one-dimensional. Uh, the characters themselves kind of end up being those lore dumps. Like they're not bad. They're just I uh, I don't I don't think they're as well done as characters as what we get with a lot of the Thrawn trilogy. And that's kind of where uh, the last command edges out. Uh, Plague is for me. Such a cool character. Like Mazik. Like, I mean, <laughs> love Mazik. 
such a such a dude (laughs) (laughs) he was the most 90s thing in this Isaac's voice actor or the voice Mark Thompson uses for him is really funny. I try to figure out what the accent is. If someone in the chat can help and explain it, I can't. It's like almost like a Brooklyn like <laughs> perfect. God, if you do this, like <laughs> it's it's hard. It's hard. To that explain. was not Brooklyn. That was Southern. Yeah, no, it wasn't. You, you'll if you listen to the audiobook and you hear, right. you'll get it. I will definitely do that. Uh, shall we move into some viewer emails we should and while we're doing this if people want to ask questions on the stream uh you can just at tag me and or uh eckhart slatter are you in logged into x2 or eckhart slatter all right so if you want to just tag either myself or eckhart slatter in the chat there uh then we'll get to those questions after we've dealt with some of the emails uh there are a lot of emails uh Uh, from the last couple weeks if you've sent us an email that we've, I feel like we've addressed in yeah. the series. I mean, in the in the episode, we'll acknowledge it. But just yeah, there there were some that we kind of worked in as we went through as well. But if you would, threes, four, oh sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say if if anyone would like to send in an email for uh, either covering something that we talked about today for us to get to next episode, or if you have any questions you want us to talk about in the first episode of Dark Empire. Uh, then that is tapcalf transmissions at gmail.com. Uh, that's T A P C A F T R A N S M I S S I O N S at gmail.com. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's no E, uh, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. Uh, so Henry is the first one we've got here. He just asked about Niles Ferry. I think we, we, uh, yeah, we, we did. We mostly. It, is, it is nice to see him take down though. It's a satisfying moment. Yeah. Well, if he, he didn't, if he did actually die, you never know. Um, Cody mentioned this thing that's been going around recently about how the recent Visual Dictionary has used after and before Starkiller instead of uh, ABY and BBY. But Matt Martin, who's a member of the Lucasfilm Story Group, has acknowledged that that's really just a thing for that Visual Dictionary to help provide additional context because it's like, when you're 30 years out and the entire book is about and the entire visual dictionary is about this period um that's far more relevant you might as well you know choose that for your epoch rather than yeah so when people are getting into stuff like that uh to make it accessible for a wider audience uh it's more important to have it relate well to the stuff that it's talking about uh, so if you find out that uh, the Rise of Skywalker stuff is happening X years after the Battle of Yavin, that doesn't tell you how it relates to The Force Awakens, which is really what's important. Uh, so I, I do think it's a bit of manufactured outrage. Uh, it's not it's not like Bob Iger didn't like email them saying, we need to make sure that this only references our movies. Like hate this, the Battle of Yemen. I hate George Lucas. Yeah. Um, we have to pay George Lucas every time we say BBY. <laughs> oh, God, that shit is just so infuriating. But like, I under I understand some people don't enjoy the new Star Wars stuff, and there is certainly stuff to criticize. But when you are criticizing stuff, just try to be reasonable about like where you want to draw your lines on what what hills you're going to die on 
uh, and try to at least consider why things may have been done the way they were done. Uh, Intentions, like ascribing, you know, some dark malevolence to yeah. Pablo Hidalgo here. Like, probably. Yeah, like, I mean, if you're saying that they're just doing this to be like, what? what's the goal that they're trying to accomplish with that? Uh, like, is it to keep some sort of consistency so people can more easily tell what's going on within the context of that book, which seems to be what it is, or is it because they're trying to shit on the original trilogy or something? It's like, and I mean, keep in mind, BBY and ABY is is even itself a pretty recent thing. Yeah, for I have books that say before and after Star Wars, um, as in before and after A New Hope, and AWS, and I think it was BWS. Or uh, used to be the, or sorry, A S W and B S W used to be the the term. Yeah, there's like but, uh, five other pre-existing uh, dating methods, even in universe, uh, let alone other, everything out universe. Yeah, visual dictionaries have used other epochs as well. Like I think there's one that uses the formation of the empire. But mm-hmm. anyway, thanks for the email, Cody. Um, Jack asked about. Do you think you'll review Allegiance and Choices of One? I'm just going to say, yeah, yeah we'll definitely. get to it eventually. I'm really looking forward to getting to those ones. Um, Jeff says, hi, guys. I'm enjoying reading some of the books listening to you guys discuss them. We've heard that a lot, too. Um, lots of feedback from people who are reading the EU for the first time or who are revisiting it. Always nice to hear. Yep. Um, isn't it weird? Okay, we covered this when he asked about how it's kind of weird that Thrawn never followed his plans. Yeah. A lot of emails about Farrier, actually. Yeah. Fan favorite character is what we're getting from this. He's sexy in the comic. He's sexy. <laughs> no, he's not. He's, he's terrible. Um, <laughs> he too does not shower. He looks like he doesn't. We also uh, covered his next comment. Thank you for the email, Jeff. Um, Chris asks about the parallels between Thrawn and Sun Tzu and the art of war. Um, I see, like, I guess Sun Tzu does kind of go on the whole know your enemy thing, but. Uh, I think I don't know. I, I guess so. Zen, like the main the main character that Zan based uh, thrown off of is obviously Sherlock Holmes, but I'm pretty sure he also intended it to be like a combination of like Sun Tzu, Robert E. Lee, Erwin Rommel, and someone else, where he was taking elements of it. Uh, yeah. But those those are the main names that you usually see thrown around by him. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is definitely number one. If you had to just pick one, though, it's Sherlock Holmes. Um, Ian Miller asks, I was wondering, do you have a favorite ship from the Thrawn trilogy? Uh, we covered this question with Mara Jade. Um, do you have a favorite ship, Corey? Uh, I'm pretty sure every ship in the Thrawn trilogy is a Skip Ray blast boat. So... Also a Western game ship, yeah. Skip Ray. I mean, it's not really a, a series that introduces ships. So... No, it really, really doesn't. And a lot of novels are kind of like that, where you'll get like general classifications rather than like a specific ship reference uh so we'd probably have to like look at the comics more and see what if like that does more than even lazy i mean it's not lazy he could have been lazy and just had everything be a star destroyer yeah and everything be an x-wing or whatever And like Uh, he does reference like stuff like victory star destroyer there's not really a criticism of what he's doing it's just i actually think it works better having like this idea that there can be more variation rather than trying to nail down like this is this thing uh some series like black fleet crisis go into a bit more depth uh trying to nail that down where that is that's kind of what those books are doing 
Uh, whereas for this, it's less important for the plot and kind of distracting if he's trying to figure that out when he's still trying to figure out the uh, the story for the book. So it's... Um, thank you for the uh, question. That was Ian. Uh, Joel says, so I'm curious, if Disney slash Lucasfilm came to you asking for a pitch for episodes 10 to 12, since one day there will be one, what would it be about? For me personally, I would want to see Ray and company go into the spirit realm Tied with stuff like more Mortis and whatnot. However, I'm curious to hear your pitch. Corey, do you have an idea for... I mean, I don't really have any ideas for like a next set of Skywalker saga type movies with like main characters that exist. I've, I'm kind of looking forward to... Uh, I, w- I would like to get like a, a trilogy that has more of a focus on uh, space battles would be nice, but like less of a Jedi focus for sure um maybe like still have jedi in some form probably because it's star wars people want lightsaber battles but i i am kind of looking for more of uh i i'd like like a, a broader galactic view with more space battle stuff that would be my like two line summary of what i'm looking for uh yeah you uh i mean if i were forced to continue it i think there's a youtuber named wayward jedi he had a cool idea basically about how the next trilogy could be about something like that, but also uh, politics and I, I, I like I don't re- can't really think of what I would do from this point on. I think it's best to to move on and like will there be a, a new Skywalker trilogy? I honestly don't know. Um, I don't think so. But yeah, I'd like to see. I'm excited for something to be made without all of the baggage that comes with. I would actually, like, if Rey uh, reestablishes the Jedi Order or something, I'd be down for, like, a a show on that more so than movies. That'd be cool. Because then it it feels like the shows you can be a bit more even with it rather than trying to, like, tell one broader story all the time. You can get into a bit more of the minutia with it and just set up the order and have that be kind of what they're doing. But I don't know if Daisy Ridley would even want to do that. So it'd be so weird too to see movie characters like that. I don't know. Well, yeah, I cool. mean, we're getting Kenobi. So, um, Nick Edwards with the final email question says, "Did either of you find it uh, kind of weird that everyone was hating on Admiral Drayson throughout Chapter 14? Absolutely <laughs> not. Fuck that guy. He is useless. So dismayed by him being command. I mean, I think it's just he's a competent commander, but." Against Thrawn, you need more than competent. Yeah. Uh, he just wasn't, like, he totally misused the fleet. Um, he under, he didn't just, he just didn't know how powerful a goal and defense platform was. Yeah, this was like, not really what he's fo- good at. Armbell Iblis, on the other hand, knows that a Golan can withstand the barrage. So it's just like, he's not as experienced. He's not as combat hardened. And he's not, doesn't have the same kind of tactical gifts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Questions in the chat that jumped out at you, Corey? Uh, so it looks like we got uh, a question from Lords of Arnor. Uh, it was about the podcast itself, so we'll just read that ourselves. Would you consider making a stream of you and some other Star Wars YouTubers playing the Old West End games? Uh, I do Star Wars tabletop stuff. I don't think Justin ever wants to get into Star Wars tabletop stuff. Uh, he thinks I'm a big nerd. Uh, 
Valerie said a show on Young Jedi Knights TV show. That's basically what I'm looking for with that. I'd be 100% in for that. Yeah, Kylo Ren comic has actually been covering that somewhat because it's shown other Jedi from Luke's Academy. Yeah, but we know they all just die, so what's the point? That is true. It's just cool to see, like, kind of the mix. (laughs) Just get Adam Driver with, like, aged down makeup, still the same size as, like, 14 year old. From Triton, what did you think of the fleet compositions in the Battle of Bilbrini? good well, i think that kind of gets back to what we were talking cruisers. about where it was like the battle was such a secondary thing that it's... we really just get the numbers um you get some the most detail we get is really about the interdictors positioning yeah but that's only because it's relevant for the smugglers alliance stuff yeah and oh shit was it it was this it was the assault on coruscant that had like seven times as many interdictors as yeah. x-wing thought existed like... in the galaxy it was like 30 30- 14, 32, something massive. A lot. It was a lot. But uh, the Thrawn trilogy does hint at like a more maximalist uh, thing or maximalist number of ships than X-Wing does at least, Uh, but not quite as much as the Dark Empire stuff. And I think that'll be a fun conversation to have next time. Agreed. Uh, So for next time... uh, are we we're just doing we're doing three parts for Dark Empire, right? Or are we doing So we'll do the first six issues or is it five? Whatever. The first issues of Dark Empire all of Dark Empire one for Tuesday. Yeah. And then we might we were talking about potentially grouping the rest for Dark Empire together. Because yeah, Empire's end is only like two issues. Yeah. So. so uh we've got at least two episodes coming up for Dark Empire. Uh if you want to make sure you get that read, the next episode of Tap Calf Transmissions will be up on uh, Mr. Eckhart's Ladder's channel in uh, tentatively the 23rd. I think we could do for issue, we we could just take a week maybe between Dark Empire 2 and Empire's End. Um, just have like a shorter yeah. episode maybe. Because um, the there's a lot to get bogged down on in Dark Empire 2. Um, that's all I'm thinking about. Uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah, uh, But I, I think I'd be probably down for two shorter episodes closer together for that. This is we're three hours in now to this one. Uh, and I guess Marmar as asking, uh, is there going to be another stream tonight? And also what do you guys consider doing a tap calf on something that isn't star Wars? So, uh, I think with yeah, tap calf, that wasn't star. Wars. Well, with tap calf, we might probably, just, uh, yeah, we'd probably call it something else, but are you streaming tonight, Corey? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we'll play Keep Halo later or something. But... Yeah. Sign off for both of us and say that we love you guys. Oh, I'm sorry. I love you. Corey doesn't actually like you guys very much, but forty percent of you. You're very. You're all very special to me in your own little way. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tapcaf transmissions. As always, as Corey mentioned, if you want to email us, you can do so at tapcaftransmissions at gmail if you're, if you're listening to this on podcast, you can usually find that in the podcast description. If you're on YouTube, it should be down there in the YouTube description as well. Um, we've had some people complain that, or not complain, but point out that we're not on certain podcasts um, platforms. So if you're listening on like a secondary one and there's one that you prefer more, let us know. Because um, that's something we have to do manually. We've got to expand each one manually. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so just let me know what you want, and Corey or myself will do so. Um, and yeah. All right. Thanks for sure. tuning in, everyone. I hope your Bye. tap caps are cheap and your transmissions come through clearly. Okay. No, that was terrible. Let's cut that. Charlie? Uh, Charlie? <laughs> He's in jail. We can't. Anyways, bye, everyone.